welcome. It's a pleasure to meet you. I am Philemon, a dweller between consciousness and unconsciousness. And now, a simple test. Can you state your name? Welcome to Megaten Marathon, a game by game journey through the Shin Megami Tensei and Persona games. I am Paul M. Davis, and uh, who am I here with? Why, it's me, it's Brian Static. Hooray! Hey, I'm Evan. And I'm Ian. Our special guest. Hey, Ian, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Fantastic, man. So, Ian, we know Ian uh, again through a, a chat room that we all are in. Uh, for the duckfeed.tv podcast network, uh, duckfeed.com slash Patreon. Um, yeah, just uh, we're just good friends hanging out and talking about podcasts most of the day. And uh, it came up that Ian was a fan of the SMT games. And when this project came about, it was a pretty obvious choice to invite him on because, you know, we like Ian. Ian's a good guy. Yeah. Indeed. Ian, so tell us about your history with the SMT games. What draws you to them? Where did you first encounter them? Oh, boy. Um, I think my f- first smt experience was i i was i was at a friend's house in high school we were like 15 and he got his hands on persona 4 because we were like across the street from a GameStop, and i was watching him play it and it was just like that was it that was my game i was in for it um <laughs> but i didn't i didn't own it and it was kind of hard to find so i was talking to another friend about how cool it looked and he was like oh i have persona 3 you can just have it and I said, okay. And that was a really formative video game experience for me. And I just kind of branched out from there. And I played most of the PS2 ones. And then I started playing DS games. And now I think I've played almost all of these, uh, like, post-Persona 2. And uh, I don't know. They've got a really weird vibe and cool graphics and deep enough gameplay most of the time. And I, I, I just kind of everything about them. The vibe works for me. Yeah, absolutely. The vibe is a big thing. Like we always talk about, like the sort of punk rock attitude that Persona yeah. has. Persona and Shimigami have to the um, to the JRPG status quo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very different in a genre that's very samey, which is nice because I really like JRPGs. But like, whoa. Awesome. So, so grateful for you to join us for Persona 1. This was not an easy task. Many, many people uh, uh, shook their heads in shame when we told them we were covering Persona 1 and that we needed a guest. But Ian so graciously stepped up for this game that uh, people aren't too fond of. I actually tried to play this in high school, too, on the PSP and uh, bounced off it pretty hard. So uh, (laughs) I figured now was probably the only time I would ever do it. Yeah, after playing 3 and 4 on the Vita, um, I, of course, went and downloaded uh, 1 and 2 long before we started doing the show and put maybe an hour into each title and was like, wow, these old games, like, like they turned this around on a dime with Persona 3. Like, these old games are really, really hard to play. And I think it's also <laughs> hard for me because I kind of skipped the uh, PlayStation era mm-hmm. in my video gaming history. 
And so I don't have a whole lot of uh, kind of patience or affection for uh, uh, a lot of the gaming conventions of this era. That's a, that's so, a bummer, Paul, because there's some good JRPGs in that era. I know. So I'm suspecting that I just am broken inside because this game has been breezy and wonderful. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I, thought, no. I thought I liked Shin Megami Tensei 1 a lot by the time I beat it. But then picking up this made me realize, oh, Shin Megami Tensei 1 might have just broken me and might have just got me used <laughs> to its horrible mechanics <laughs> and its hostile user interface. Because, like, Persona 1 shouldn't, this game shouldn't be breezy and fun. <laughs> Paul, we might need to have an HR moment about Evan after the podcast. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, I mean, definitely in the context of coming from the uh, NES and uh, Super NES or uh, Super Famicom uh, SMT games, this is incredibly breezy and fun. It depends on you know which direction you're going. It um, is, of course, we always have the skewed uh, direction of that we started at the beginning, so. I mean, we've already we've already bared the worst of it, and I'm sure what platform you're playing on makes a difference. Uh, did anyone play the PS1 version for this? Yeah, no, yeah. none of us played the PS1 version. We are all on the PSP version. Yeah, we were uh, strongly we were strongly advised to avoid the PS1 version if we could. Yeah, so uh, we might as well get into this. Uh, the PS1 version um, uh, came out in 1996 in America. It was not actually originally called Shin Megami Tensei Persona. It was a spinoff of the series but they were trying to brand it as its own separate thing. And it was called revelations persona originally. And there was a different Japanese title. I think it was like, um, I'm going to guess here and what, who you guys can write in is it's something like, um, Megami Ikeburu, uh, persona, something very close to that. And, that um, right. Yeah. It's, it's something like that anyway, <laughs> but, uh, Persona, yeah, they tried to market it as its own entity, but it had so much SMT DNA that it was kind of undeniable that it was really a Shin Megami game at its core. Um, I mean, even the Persona idea was more inspired by anything else than the game Shin Megami Tensei If. Now, it, we feel, I, I gotta feel a little guilty because we're not covering Shin Megami Tensei If in this sort of beginning chronology. It's not a game that is translated into English as of yet. There's been a fan translation that's being worked on for a while now. And we will get to if somehow, but not right now. And we're just going to go ahead and treat Persona 1 as the first Persona game, even though SMT if is kind of the first Persona. Um, the big things about uh, if that Persona took inspiration from was that it was basically SMT in a high school setting. And uh, there was a uh, a system called the Guardian system where instead of recruiting lots of different demons, you would get a Guardian based on how well you were doing before you passed out and died. Hmm. And I think my understanding of if is that it may have been the first SMT game uh, at that point that didn't take place in like a like post new post-apocalyptic Tokyo. I could be wrong about that. I mean, that that's what's said. That seems like a really dubious claim to me because before that, there was only really one SMT game. Like, it came out in between SMT 1 and 2. And if we're, if we're just counting SMT, well, yeah, of course it's the first one because there was only one before it. But even if we're counting Megami Tensei, I mean, one, the first Megami Tensei is not technically post-apocalyptic. That's true. But yeah, so... uh Persona was the first um, 
SMT game to actually be released in the West. I mean, that's not counting the weird spinoffs like Jack Bros. But uh, for American audiences, Persona 1 might have been the first time that they really encountered the JRPG side of this franchise. Came out on the PSP in the heyday of like Final Fantasy 7 and, um, you know, Chrono Cross. I could definitely see some people just picking it up because it's a JRPG and being kind of thrown by how much more difficult it would have been to its contemporaries. So character designs are by series co-creator Kazumi Kaneko. And uh, did he, did, I, you always got to remind me, is that the guy who was on Megami Tensei 2? Was that the big guy? Yeah, he's the yeah. guy He's the guy who started with Megami Tensei 2 and is still doing SMT character designs up, and up to the uh, modern day. But uh, he only worked on uh, Persona 1 and 2. Um, and then he was taken over by uh, Shige Nori Soejima. I got that kind of close. Um, he uh, continued to be the Persona designer, I believe, up until 5, which is still yet to come out in America, but is already out in Japan. And, uh, you know, he's been doing a fantastic job so far. And you can definitely tell the difference because, you know, as amazing an artist as Kaneko is, uh, you know, there's definitely a stylized approach. I mean, this first Persona game is interesting because it's sort of a, you know, embryonic version design-wise of what you would see in later Persona games that have, mm-hmm. that are so aesthetically stylized. Um, mixed mixed with Kaneko's kind of more, like, dark manga art style. It's worth pointing out that the version that we're playing, the PSP version, has some uh, UI design and some other like little stylistic elements that were brought in, I think, after Persona 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a little bit of style to some of the menus and backgrounds that wasn't there in the original game. Yeah, they use a lot of the same icon stuff. Yeah, a lot of retroactive designs to fit it into a continuity that didn't exist yet. Um, you know, not like necessarily story-wise, but presentation-wise. Um, yeah, yeah the, I mean, uh, Kaneko's art, the, this game feels a lot like how uh, Super Mario 64 felt like, well, yeah, it's it's in 3D, it's the first step towards this new design paradigm, but it doesn't quite have everything figured out. Like, there's some there's some real rough art in this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The character portraits are, like, surprisingly not great. Not, <laughs> it, and, <laughs> and they kind of understand, you know, they were designing for PS1 resolutions, there was a CRT the things were going to look a little blurry anyway. They didn't have to look that good, but just, ooh, in high def, it is <laughs> real gross to look at those drawings. They look like they were colored in with paint. <laughs> yeah, and it's not just a fidelity issue. Like, a lot a lot of the, we'll, we'll discuss a couple of characters in particular, but a lot of the art is just straight up bad for those playable characters. It's not even just the characters, because, like, some of the some of the like persona and the monster sprites just sort of look weird in this isometric perspective, like kind of as if they weren't sure it was gonna be isometric until like the last minute or something. Yeah, and there are a couple moments where you look at a monster and you're like, "Were you guys were you guys really really rushed to get this thing out the door? Because that that doesn't you you drew a basketball you drew a basketball." <laughs> yeah. It will get to the dribbler later, Evan. <laughs> the dribbler's so good. Save the gold for when we need it. 
<laughs> is this a good time though to talk about the uh, the uh, toilet bowls with uh, the snakes <laughs> coming out of it? Because that has to be one of either one of the most uninspired or most inspired SMT monster designs. Oh no, that's a great one. I gotta admit, I didn't realize there were snakes. That kind of freaks me out more. I thought it was just like a ghost hand, like in Zelda. Mm-mm. No, as, a, as a person whose favorite Pokemon are all like, this one's a garbage bag with a face on it. <laughs> Boy, that monster really does it for me. And I mean, I, I think that this is, you know, you'll notice in the more recent Persona games where you'll see some of the demons show up as Personas from uh, some of the STMT. You'll see some of the SMT demons show up as personas, but there's kind of a strict delineation between the shadows, as they come to be known as, as mm-hmm. in Persona 3 and 4, and the sort of world of demons that you see in uh, SMT. And this game seems to be kind of a mishmash. You see some, some SMT demons, and you see some, you know, like some new stuff that it looks like they were trying to like branch out a little bit, but not quite succeeding. That's a really good point, Paul. I had, I had actually not really uh, articulated that in my mind because yeah, you did. You definitely see like kobolds and lilums and uh, just a few, like a lot of really common demons from the earlier games. They're just enemies, but at the same time, other demons are personas and the, the distinction between the two doesn't really make a ton of sense. So yeah, this uh, originally released on the PS1. It eventually came up to America again in 2009 on the PSP, this time completely retranslated because the PS1 translation was garbage. One of like the notoriously worst uh, JRPG translations. A lot of, not as bad as like Final Fantasy Tactics because it, it made sense, but it was filled with a lot of really bad slang and a lot of very odd sentences. The new version improved the interface, uh, gave multiple difficulty levels, uh, gave you way more save points, sped up gameplay in a number of ways, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, added some additional CG cutscenes. Uh, also, they don't look that great because they're based off Persona 1 art, so surprise. Mm-hmm. And uh, it it reinstated the original Japanese character portraits because when the game originally came to America... Um, for 90% of characters, they made them whiter. But for one character in particular, they went the opposite route <laughs> and decided to make him an African-American youth. I assume in New York City. Because um, you know how in New York all those uh, American kids wear those Japanese school clothes. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, it's bad. I think I really think that the reason why they're so... When we, we, we're kind of spoiled with new Persona games, because they just... They just like straight up put in Japanese sometimes as Mm -hmm. actually, did you guys see that news story? This is kind of relevant. Um, The new SMT four apocalypse game. It shipped with some Japanese text untranslated because their QA testers were too good at the game. Yeah. (laughs) That's pretty great. Mm -hmm. It's pretty fantastic. Yeah. And uh, like, it was also great that Atlas was just like, hey, look at this crazy thing that happened. They just released it (laughs) and announced it on their corporate blog. I do think it's kind of funny that they're like, we are unable to patch this correctly. And it's like, (laughs) why exactly? Like, what prevents you? Like, I get that, like, you can't just patch like two lines of dialogue because it costs money. But why exactly would it just be kind of impossible for you to change two lines of text? I don't know. 
I mean, I don't understand game development on that level, but it just strikes me as odd. Um, but yeah, we... Uh, I think that it's worth notice, noting that, like, Mark being turned into a African-American in character, like, I mean, he... I don't know a whole lot about how his translation and character came across, but it is often referred to as being, like one of the less sensitive uh, portrayals of African-American characters from a Japanese developer. It's definitely not good. Um, I haven't looked into it too much, but from what little I've seen, it's, it is not good. Well, and even, even in this translation where he is, he is a Japanese and he's kind of the butt of a lot of the jokes. He's the goofball. He's treated as not as intelligent. Like the, the way this character is already treated in the PSP version, if they just made him black with this translation as is, it would be problematic. right into the mechanics of it all so in persona one it's kind of like a smt one the there's an overworld map it shows a city um and you got streets your little bathroom sign again or what was that other word we used to describe it chevron or you know like waypoint marker yeah yeah so you're just a basic waypoint marker uh doesn't spin in any direction i don't think there's any kind of um I mean, it does spin, but I don't think there's any kind of alignment system in this game at all. There is a multiple endings, but it's more about a choosing the correct path kind of. Yeah, that's yeah. something that's you, you don't commit yourself to an alignment, but there are definitely like representative alignment characters, uh, and I don't think they correspond directly to like law or chaos. But there's definitely like a a cold guy and a warm guy. Yeah, Persona is so much less about. Uh, forging your own path in this world taken over by demons and is so much more about like a, a mm-hmm. pre-described story about the characters in play. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so you got the map. Um, when you move around inside of dungeon, you are seen, you see the world through first person view. Um, unlike SMT, there is a run button. So you can go really, really in- fast. Like you move super fast hard to walking. I haven't touched the run button. And yet, <laughs> even insanely or fast running. Mm-hmm. Um, and after, after how choppy the movement and the animation is in SMT1 and MT1 and 2, it is so beautifully fluid on the PSP. It is delightful. Oh, yeah. yes. the It is. It looks so wonderful. I mean, you're always seeing the... Well, 
at the very least, because of the fidelity of the graphics in the PSP version, like not, it's not re- repetitious like the Megami Tensei and SMT1 were, where you're just seeing seriously the same uh, literal sprite over and over again. Because like you'll walk down a hallway and like doors and walls will look slightly different, like not not incredibly different, but enough to at least feel like this is a real place and not just a bunch of sprites. And uh, another wonderful addition is that when you push, say you got a corner to go around. Now, normally in the old SMT games, you would push left, then forward, then right, then forward, then forward, then forward, then right, then forward, because you got to do that full 180 turn. In uh, Persona 1, you can, (laughs) you know how just when you're you're walking in real life and you just decide to slide completely to the left? There's definitely like an upward motion to it. Yeah. So yeah, you just uh, you just sort of shift an entire tile to the left or right with the shoulder buttons. And like, honestly, like that's how my characters move. They almost never turn around. I'm just facing one direction and I'm just pushing the appropriate buttons to get them to move in whatever direction the floor is. <laughs> oh, and it's worth adding. We can do this in one direction because unlike the previous games, your minimap is not a spell. Uh, there's a useful, versatile minimap that's always available and ready to look at. Yeah, and they actually do it in a pretty interesting way where uh, when you, you explore tile by tile and you ha- you will memorize every single tile that you step on. But the minimap also gives you a radius about three tiles away in any given direction. So you can sort of guess like what the tile is going to look like if you're standing in the in the in the spot. But if you're opening the proper map in your pause menu, you'll only really see your immediate area and the tiles that you've stepped on, which can sometimes give the map a really strange look when you just didn't fill out that one hallway, because mm-hmm. this brings me to the next thing. There are no reason, there's no reason to go to the end of hallways in this game. You only need to go the direction that you're heading. Like yeah. in SMT1, it was always like, well, there might be like a treasure chest over there. But I've, there, as far as I know, there are no treasure chests when you're in the first person view in this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so when you're so when you're in the dungeons, um, there is one more perspective we have to keep in mind, which is the isometric perspective. You get this when you're in battle, and also when you're in dialogue rooms and cutscenes. So you say you're just in the hallway of the dungeon. You're walking down. You see a door. You turn left. You go in there. Bam! Your isometric. You see the characters from a top-down god perspective, um, and you can talk. And uh, there will be boxes there sometimes, or lockers, and you open those up and you get items out of them. I feel like 70% of the ones I've found in the <laughs> yeah. game so far have been trapped. But... <laughs> and then oftentimes you can uh, go into those rooms and walk around pressing the examine button uh, on just about every item <laughs> looking for a key card or something like that. Which is one of the, one of the more frustrating parts of this game, at least for me. <laughs> You know, it's not great, but I've found all of the ones they've wanted me to relatively quickly so far. And I'm not sure if it's just because I've noticed them quick or just, you know, they're decently projected. But, I mean, if you're having trouble finding them, then they can't possibly be that well projected, They usually make sense, like, where they are. Like, it's logical where you find them. It's just, I have trouble getting my little dude over to them, like... I've put, at this point, probably 30 hours into this game, and I still can't walk around in those sections. Like, something about that perspective just throws me off. (laughs) 
Yeah, I don't want to get on, into a rant on isometric, but it has on isometric views, but it has to be probably my least favorite interface form in video games, period. To the point where if I see something that is supposedly a good game that's in the and that's in primarily an isometric view, I probably will not play it because I just can't wrap my head around it. It's 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 a well, I think well known fact in game design that unless you have a mouse, isosymmetric view is a pretty bad. Like yeah. having an up button that corresponds either to up right or up left mm. is a little a little weird. Uh, Persona 1 uh, lets you change which one you want on your whim. Like, say you want up to be up left, okay. If you want up to be up right, also okay. Which is an interesting concession to a bad design decision. Oh, man. Oh, it's in the option menu. I think that'll solve all my problems. <laughs> you, gotta, you always gotta... Ooh. Look, Ian, <laughs> let me tell you a little secret about JRPGs. <laughs> one of the first things you want to find is the options menu, because they yeah. always have the text speed it at a 5. And you wanted that a nine. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, you could do that. I mean, the, in more recent games, the uh, are they, mm-hmm. the Double Survivor, yeah. the uh, the DS, the DS one, the, the, the yeah, Overclock. Yeah, those are isometric as well, and you can all you can make. And they also have the same option as in uh, which direction you want up to actually go. But on those ones, you can just tap the touch screen, right? You can just yeah, tap actually. the touch screen, tap the no. touch screen grid. No. It works. That's a fucking bummer. Yeah. That's fine, I guess. Like, I played Final Fantasy Tactics on my uh, on my iOS. I was playing Final Fantasy Tactics iOS, and you could just tap the screen to tell where your guys where they went. It was fantastic. But also, like, that wasn't... They also made it so you could just rotate the camera so up would be up. But, I mean, you weren't playing with a controller either yeah, way. Well, so I mean, Shin Megami Tensei is uh, it's yeah. a game series for real men, and... Uh, it, you know, yeah, so we don't need to make those concessions to gameplay uh, as Mega Ten fans. <laughs> <laughs> so there's also one thing that these uh, these rooms do that's new to this series. And in previous games, your party members would chime in during certain uh, predetermined events, uh, or not at all, depending on uh, which ones you were talking about. In this game, every single time you're in one of these little rooms to get chests or anything like that, all your party members are just standing there in the world. Uh, sometimes they're like talking with an NPC, but you can kind of get their hot takes on whatever's going on uh, kind of at, at any point in the game, which is kind of cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely talk a lot more about the NPCs in a second, but they are more realized characters in every sense. Like they're actually like it would have just been one thing if they just, you know, made better props for your NPCs. But these guys, at the very least, they have sure distinct do. personalities. Mm hmm. <laughs> And sure, sometimes it's in the the broad, cartoonish kind of way of having diverse personalities, but still, it's better than just having, oh, I'm good, oh, I'm evil, I'm in between, and those are it. Uh, One other thing about exploring dungeons, you will find save points. They are giant, glowing purple trees. I like them. When you save, it asks you if you want to inscribe your story into the tree, which I can only assume means you take your sword and write down everything that's happened since the last time you were at one of these trees. I just pictured it as like whipping out a pocket knife, carving your initials in and being like, all right, this is my tree. (laughs) I'm saved now. Evan, I would agree with you if the hero's weapon was a pocket knife. And a submachine gun. He just has a giant sword. So I'm assuming... And just, okay, so he could faster. be shooting it into the tree. That's a very good point. <laughs> like, like something out of Scarface. 
April 3rd. Um, so instead of say, uh, healing at a Kaifuku, you got two different options. You can either find a doctor or you can find a fairy named Trish who will take more money than a doctor, but it's, it's still relatively cheap for what you're getting out of it. And besides, you get a lot of you get a lot of heal spells for the MP that you have on your healing character at in in the yeah. It's very rare to not be in a position where you're able to pretty much top yourself out and be fine. Yeah, and that well, is definitely a concession of the PSP version because the PS1 version did mm. not have as many save points or healing. Points. Like honestly, I kind of think that maybe they like in trying to compensate for the fact that the game was too hard on PS1. They might have yeah, toned it back Final just Fantasy IV a bit in America too much. problem. Yeah. At this point, with a game this old, I am okay with that. I would rather play like the easy breezy version of a 15, 20 year old oh, yeah, RPG definitely. than the pure original version. Oh yeah. Oh oh oh! Would you, Evan? So, what difficulty mode did you pick? Was it normal, perchance? I picked normal. <laughs> Lawyered. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying, man. You could have picked easy and had like the breeziest time in the world. I, I could have, but like I, I at least want just the the bare minimum of challenge. And I figured, like, if this is the PSP remake of a PS1 game, like, people were already telling me this game's going to be a little bit easier than the previous ones. You know what? Yeah. I might pick easy for the Snow Queen quest. I just realized I could do that. That's a good idea. Yeah, then we could just do it and not have to worry about it being weird. Anyway, we'll talk yeah. about the Snow Queen quest at another time. Actually, a little later, briefly. So now we're down to the battle system, and this is the real meat of the game, because we're in this a lot. And for the first time, I feel like it's starting to get tactical, like the SMT persona that I know. You got a lot of different options in this particular battle system, and one of the big ones is that you got a lot more magic and attack types, and it does definitely matter what kind of attack and magic that you're using. There's a little symbol by every attack that tells you what kind of damage you're getting. And some enemies are weak to some physical attacks and, and uh, like, resistant to others. So it, it even matters if, like, you're attacking with your axe guy or uh, your guy with the uh, spear. And there are just enough damage types and just enough different characters oh, yeah, to make like... this too frustrating for me to pay attention to. <laughs> just enough. You're right. Unlike later Persona games, you actually have a grand total of five Yeah, it's a lot members. to keep track of. Yeah, because on top of the party members, you also have the Persona system. And if you're coming from three or four, you're thinking, oh, what's so bad about the Persona system? You capture cards, you fuse them into demons, and you attach them to your main character. Well, you got two-thirds of that right, because all five of your main characters are capable of carrying three separate Personas. And you're going to get nowhere in the game if you keep all your secondary characters with only their first starter Persona. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the other thing about it is, not only are you getting the Personas, but it, it has the same mechanic from Persona uh, 3 and 4, where you have to level up your Personas in order to make them useful. But you, So you can totally get a situation where you, you get a boss that you aren't expecting, and then all of a sudden all your characters have these horribly mana-inefficient Personas, because uh, one of the other things about the magic in this game is, it doesn't as your Persona levels up, you get more powerful spells. You might get a more powerful healing spell than the base spell. But every spell for a persona costs the same fixed amount of MP. So you might get a new powerful persona and realize it's going to drain your hero's entire uh, MP pool in like six, seven casts. <laughs> and then you're also managing two separate level up systems. I'm sorry, three separate level up systems. Because you got your character's level, which dictates how much stats they have, plus what personas they're able to carry, and also what personas they're a- or what 
demons they're able to convince to give you their spell cards. We'll get to the spell cards, people. Um, <laughs> then on top of that, you have your personas level. Your persona just levels up with your main character. It's not that big of a deal. Basically, it starts off leveling up really quickly for three or four levels. Then it caps out pretty quick, and it starts taking thousands upon thousands of experience points to get them up to the next level. Again, it's one of those percent, those um, features that where the SMT game is telling you these are resources, don't get attached. However, there's kind of a contradiction here. Because as far as I can tell, you can't actually use your personas to fuse into new personas. No, I, I think it's just the skill cards. Or the... Is that right? Yeah, it's yeah, just right. the spell cards. And uh, again, we'll get to the spell cards in just a minute, but now you're going to just have a bunch of a clog of old personas that aren't really useful because they don't do enough damage. They don't do heavy enough attacks, but they're just sort of there and there's nothing to do. So it's kind of like, why did they make it so you couldn't just keep this persona viable? Like, I mean, they already have the, um, they already have the limitation of they're only going to have the attacks that they have. Right. So why not just let them level up? concession towards like being a Shin Megami Tensei game, like, oh, Shin Megami Tensei games, you have a lot of different demons that you just kind of cycle through, and they hadn't, like, gotten out of that mindset completely. Because, like, Persona 1 is, like, a real, like, foot in both yeah. sides of the pond. That's not a saying. But, like, it's a half step. <laughs> both sides of the Sure. Yeah. On both sides it's, of the it's fence, not maybe. quite a Mega Ten game, trying and it's to not say. quite Persona <laughs> yeah. 3. It's, like, in a weird middle ground. Sure, sure. Also in the battle system, we have new kinds of magic. We still have returning stuff like fire, ice, lightning, but also things like nuclear and gravity. Um, in terms of mechanics, they don't work too. They don't work all that differently. I mean, it's still a spell. You're trying to find monsters that have the weakness to it, and you got to experiment a little. I mean, there's an analyze button, but I haven't actually figured out how to how it works yet. Uh, so the way analyze works is that the first time you encounter a demon, it's going to show you a bunch of question marks. The second time you encounter that demon, if you hit the analyze button, I think it's the uh, R trigger on the uh, PSP version, or the R bumper, it'll tell you, like, their HP, their stats, their weaknesses, their vulnerability, or their strengths. Like, pretty oh. much everything you would need. Oh, good, because I've been using, like, a fact for that shit. That'll be faster. Yeah, th I mean, I use that. I use the analyze function, or whatever it's called now, a lot, like, modern SMT and in uh, modern Persona games. Uh, just because I often forget what the uh, affinities and what the resistance is of the different demons or shadows are. Um, the analyze function here is not as robust. It won't give you like a full breakdown of like every single type of spell that they can resist or weak right. to. Um, so that's a little kind of frustrating to step back, but it's definitely a huge improvement over uh, the previous SMT games. Is this the only game that has gravity spells? Yeah, it's, it's definitely not in. I don't remember them. Yeah, it's not too. in any of the later I don't ones. Them in you guys three and didn't four, yeah. mention it before. It seems like a weird inclusion. Yeah, yeah I, think, uh, I think nuclear is only in here too. So nuclear in here is referred to as a, yeah, in they, some games it's nuclear, in some games it's almighty damage. Right, uh, so, almighty. Like, okay. The main nuclear spell you get early on is uh, Mega Dio, and that's yeah. one that you'll see come up in, like, even Persona 4 has Mega Dio. So the only other thing um, we really got left to go, we got two things left. And one is how to actually get a Persona. So much like SMT1, when you see a demon in the field, provided you have the correct level to recruit it, you can talk to it. 
Um, it's called what's the actual word that's on the menu for it? Uh, contact, right? Contact. Yeah, so you contact the demons and you start a conversation. And unlike SMT one, so SMT one was sort of like a conversation tree where before you ever picked a decision, the game had already decided whether it, there was a right answer and what that right answer was. In Persona one. Every single one of your main characters has four different conversation options. Things like persuade, lie, bribe, and in Mark's case, dance. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Dance is a particularly famous one. There was even a really poorly translated uh, phrase from the first game when you hit Mark dance. And I basically said, Mark danced crazy. (laughs) <laughs> the fans liked it so much that they kept it in. So I appreciate that. It's a pretty good sentence when it comes up. But there, there is a ton of dialogue in these, uh, in these options. I feel like I keep finding new phrases of dialogue, even on the uh, conversation options that I've used a lot already. I also find this, you know, not notwithstanding from the older games, but I find this probably to be the most frustrating demon negotiations that I've. Uh, come across in an SMT game. It's not good. Before you go further, Paul, let me actually explain exactly how it works to the people at home. Okay. When you you pick a conversation option from one of your five party members, and you that you pick the demon, um, the demon will respond by a predetermined set. Mostly, like ninety percent of the time, it'll always give you the same answer on certain conversation options. So let's say I have a Lilum, and I pick. This is not actually how uh, the exact Lilum uh, conversation tree, but I'm just speculating here. And say I pick persuade on my on the main character, and uh, they respond eager, which is good. We want eager for going for a spell card. They have four different emotions, and it's a Oh god. It's a rhombus and there's a triangle shooting towards the center on each individual side and how close it is to the center is how much that emotion is about to color the rest of the battle for that monster. So you have eager, happy, mm-hmm. sad and fearful, I think are the four. And uh if you get say happy or sad, they'll just stop talking to you and if you get fearful, I think they run away. Um, uh, they run away or they get a debuff. Or a debuff. And uh, with you're always going for eager, which is the the bottom left section of the um, of the rhombus. And once you've got eager all the way filled up, you have the option of asking for a spell card, asking for money, or asking for yeah. just for them to go away, I think is the third one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I've never picked the money option. I've always gone for the spell card. Um, I can't imagine they give you much more money than what you would just get from beating. No, it, it's almost never worth it. But uh, mm-hmm. one one cool thing you can do is that uh, if you get the little triangle all the way to the center uh, for happy and then max it out for eager, if you get both happy and oh, eager, they'll both give you yeah, a skill card that. and a little extra item, which is pretty neat. So you you still have to do the final blow on eager, I assume. because if uh, you, you can just... actually do either. Oh, really? Uh, That's very uh, interesting. Basically, once you get that little triangle to the third level, it'll start flashing. Yeah. And then as soon as you get something that's on the third level to the fourth, then everything that's at that third level will trigger at once. So, like, I got one that was three of them at once, and the demon was just really angry and confused and then ran away. Right. Even though I had eager maxed out. So, almost back to you, Paul. So, um, just in some demons, like, it's it's kind of, what would a SMT conversation with a demon be if there weren't just a little bit of randomness? 
because sometimes when you give them the right answer, it'll shoot up two slots on the on the rhombus. But sometimes it, the wrong emotion will trigger because they realize you're kind of messing with them, like trying to manipulate. And that's maybe like a 10% chance that that will happen. But sometimes they can be so convinced that you're not being sincere that they'll be stuck on that emotion that they're feeling, and that will override you trying to get the eager points up. And I believe that completely explains the mechanics. So go ahead, Paul. This is frustrating. Well, I mean, it's funny because, like, the rhombus in concept, you know, it should be, like, a visual representation of how you're doing in your, like, demon negotiations. And I think one of the common complaints that I see about SMT games is that people uh, find the demon negotiation process to be really kind of arbitrary. Um, I've never actually felt that way. I feel like once you sort sort of get used to the demons and demon types, they have different kind of personalities. You start to kind of suss out a way to, um, you know, to approach uh, negotiating with them. Uh, in this game, I just feel like I keep on getting into these kind of repeating conversation trees that don't really come up with any kind of like positive outcome. I just like keep on going in circles in the same conversation, you know, over and over and over. And I, you know, find it really difficult to move the needle or whatever on the rhombus in a way that benefits me in any kind of meaningful way. If I was if I was looking at this game for feedback on that uh, mechanic, yeah, I would be pretty disappointed. I can't uh, admit that I'm playing that way. I'm actually using a guide to just tell me what gives me the eager option most of the time because mm-hmm. I just don't want to deal with it. Like the early SMT conversation systems are real dumb. Yeah, in this game, it's entirely designed to be uh, a trial and error. Uh, because for every demon, there's going to be like one of the one of the conversation types of a party member, not necessarily a party member you have in your party, but one of the possible party members that will most of the time get you what you want. Uh, but it, you, so you, you have five party members, you have four different responses for each of those party members. Out of all of those uh, twenty five responses, you might have or uh, twenty responses, you might have one that's like, okay, this this is the one that works because I think there are six, seven, eight characters. Like there's. You'll meet a demon, it'll be like, oh, you actually don't have a party that can successfully recruit this demon, uh, because you don't have the three people that have the thing that makes them eager, at least according to the fact. There are at least eight party members, because I have five, and, and it's I know bad that there because are three that I don't. There's okay. no way of knowing in-game. Like, oh, well, I just, I didn't recruit Brown, so, like, I just can't talk to these guys effectively, because he's the only guy that has the conversation option that they respond well to. And the game just, like, won't tell you. Like, there's no record, there's nothing to, like, <laughs> Track like, oh, this demon likes this, and this demon likes this. It's just trial and error, and I hope you remember, and I hope you have the right guy on your team, because that's it. That's all we're giving you. Yeah. Yeah, and, and like Paul mentioned, though, one of the things in the other games are that you can get a sense for what type of demon a certain demon is. So, like, uh, Jack Frost, he's, he's, a part of an, he's part of an arcana of demons. I think it, uh, it's um, fairy. And you kind of get a sense, okay, in general, male fairies will respond this way, female fairies will respond that way. And that's knowledge that it still takes trial and error to learn, but you can carry that throughout the entire game. In this game, it's on a demon-by-demon basis, so you can spend the time with the trial and error to figure out how one demon will respond to you, but then as soon as you're done with that dungeon, you're never seeing that demon. Yeah. So, let's say you 
encounter a demon, successfully negotiate it, ask for a spell card. Or the right level to get that spell card, they give you the spell card. Let's say you do that with another demon, and you get the spell card from them. It's a different spell card. Now, these spell cards don't actually cast spells or anything. They don't give you magic. No, no. You go to the vel- the Velvet Room, um, inspired by Twin Peaks. Paul, our expert on Twin Peaks? <laughs> I, I would say it's pretty clearly inspired by the uh, Red Room. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's got some definitely some basic elements like this. I mean, it's not a jazz lounge, but it's like, you know, like a, a classier music usually plays once you're in the Velvet Room. Yeah, it definitely has that, like, you're just stepping stepping over the threshold into kind of a waiting room in, from another dimension, you know, that is pretty much what the Red Room is in Twin Peaks. And it has, you know, I Igor, uh, who is one of the characters who you, you know, people who played Persona 3 and Persona 4 will be familiar with. And I assume at um, this point, let's just blanket say it, Persona 5. Yeah. Igor, I mean, he's not a one-to-one match with the... Uh, Man, a little man from another place in Twin Peaks, but I think there's a clear, clear line of inspiration there. I mean, there's there's uh, like the several way. overlapping ideas, like oddly proportioned body structure. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's it's mostly for him. It's his like his nose and his large torso compared to his tiny limbs, and and not that he's just you know a dwarf. But and before a, we move on, just. Just in case anyone is, has not played the Persona games, when we say, when he says he has a large it's nose, like a banana we mean like over a foot. <laughs> yes, as it, it is a prehensile nose, <laughs> and uh, yes, it, it is coming to get you. Um, and he will speak to you in riddles, and um, you know, there's there's so, sort of a dream logic to a lot of what he has to say. Uh, you know, at least the things that he has to say that are not um, necessarily like. Um, technical game-related kind of tutorials. Yeah, unlike later Persona games, though he still introduces you to a lot of concepts, his introduction and his, like, introductory speech, none of it's as bombastic. You just sort of stumble across him throughout the course of your playing, and you just enter a room. Yeah, in 3 and 4, he definitely, like, seems to be taking some sort of active role. He's kind of like, we'll get to Philemon in this game, but, like, Igor kind of takes over as that. And then his attendants sort of take the role that Igor has in this game. Um, has anyone played exactly. Persona 2 up to the Velvet Room? But yeah, he's... Is it the Dude, same uh, as I it have. is I've in Persona, Persona 1? Because in 3 and 4, the Velvet Room like takes different forms, and presumably no. 5 too, that are kind of like more reflective of the themes of the game. Uh, so in Persona 2, it's a little bit different. Uh, Igor is... Um, it, it's basically like a dialogue room. You can talk to the individual members... Uh, there's actually several different guests in there, each of which serves kind of a different purpose. Uh, it's it's a pretty cool system. And actually, uh, the Velvet Room is one of my favorite things about the entire Persona series, because anytime, anytime a dungeon is getting stressful or like a part of the game, like it feels like it's getting tense, the Velvet Room is like an instant release valve for me. Because uh, even within the context of the plot of these games, the idea is the Velvet Room is kind of a room out of time. You step into it, everything stops. And it, it kind of gives me a... I, I love the feeling of just being in this place where, you know what? Slow down. Everything here is nice. It's calm. It's sedate. There's no timer ticking down. There's nothing to worry about. It's your own little pocket just to kind of escape from the rest of this crazy, insane dream world where all kinds of geometries make no sense. And it's it's like a little pocket of sanity. Sure. I like that. 
Yeah. Yeah, and so on this one, it, it, it's always uh, usually accompanied by a save point. So if you're running into a Velvet Room, you can you can pretty much assume that like it's kind of this game's equivalent of that. Like, you can't hang out. It's mostly a menu, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So you got to go actually fuse your demon. Igor will help you with that. He basically, he he's also the place where you go to attach personas to characters after you fuse them. So you go in, you have two spell cards. You actually, in the PSP version, I got to assume this is not in the Ooh. PS1 version because it's too new Ooh, of an idea. Thank God. But there's a guided persona system. I mean, yes, thank God. It is a lifesaver. I, you know, guys, I, it's fun to experiment with it for a little bit. But again, <laughs> until we get to the compendium era of SMT, there's it's so always going to be a more factors for fusion in this Absolutely. game than in any later SMT game. Hmm. As, yeah, as far like as I know, this is the most complicated fusion because you can. <laughs> yeah, because let's let's go through them. So first, you gotta first you gotta pick the persona. It gives you a list of available personas for you to fuse, and it also. So first thing you gotta consider is: Does your persona have a best rating with any characters? Like of the personas available, do any of your five characters rank best with that persona? Because each character has a like a ranking of how they feel to the personas. Oh, uh-huh. help me out here. Uh, what are they called? Arcana? Yeah. Yeah, the Arcana. So, like, Hero Font, Magician, Priestess, th- those are all there. All your favorite tarot cards that you have, remember. Um, and uh, you uh, you gotta find if, if your characters have a best or a good rating with that persona. Then you gotta decide, of all the options you have, which one sounds like the most worthy of your investment. Because basically, once you sp- spend these spell cards... You got to get them back. Oh, and I didn't mention oh, yeah, you can only killer. carry twelve spell cards at a time. Um, yeah, so you're gonna drop some spell cards and never use them. The way my progression ended up, I got a bunch of personas at level nineteen when I was level fourteen, uh, and that was the first time yeah, I, I was definitely any personas. not fusing as often as I probably should have been. And then in later dungeons, here I was just dropping stuff left and right because <laughs> I was I like skipped steps. I had to make room for the good stuff that was coming down the pipe. <laughs> you basically have to clear your inventory every time you're out of Velvet Room. It's the best practice. Because at the same time, you want to recruit basically all 12 of the demons that you've never met. Oh, and the game is really good. You know, at up. least the PSP version is about like spacing that out. Um, like By the time you get to a Velvet Room like in a dungeon, you're usually ready to use it. So pass it. Like there's no reason to pass it up, and you don't usually have to go too far out of your way to find one. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, you want to recruit. So the next, I'm sorry. So the next thing you got to consider is: Do you want to attach an item to your persona? Common items will have a random (laughs) effect on your persona because that sounds like it's worth your time. Um, (laughs) But certain items will will give a, a persona a certain spell, and you know it's honestly not too easy to interpret how to min max this system at the beginning of the game. I have no idea what would be advantageous advantageous to give a persona as an item to hold when they get fused so in general um for things like uh, for certain higher tier consumables and for your old uh, equipment and armor uh, it, it'll tell you like okay this, this is going to make your strength go up this is going to increase vitality this is going to increase your magical ability uh or this will teach the persona a new spell so uh usually the best the, the thing i ended up using for my item for most fusion was just old gear Oh, that's a smart idea. I will definitely be thinking about that as I move forward. Um, yeah, so the third thing you have to consider is your fusion yep, might randomly. fuck up. It just happens. 
Yep, just randomly, because I got one that it was like, there was an anomaly with your fusion. Here you go. Hey, guys. It's like, are you, hey, guys. You're guys? not going to tell me what? I just figured out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these accidents will be uh, kind of a staple of this game. Not a staple, but they'll be a feature of this series pretty much from now on. Ooh, well, they, they're weird in this one. I just wish they were more informative. Just like, tell me what the weird mutation on my persona is. It's fine. Just tell me. It definitely gets better in later games at, at doing that kind of thing. Uh, at this point, the main thing is, like, the closer you are to a full moon, the more likely they are to happen. So if you're real paranoid about them, do them on new moon. Uh, <laughs> unless, you're really, unless you're trying to get something weird to happen. Because uh, you can sometimes get, like, really crazy good demons through a fusion accident or like, learn a cool new spell. You want to avoid fusing on full moon unless you're specifically trying to game. I never, ever remember to consider the moon phase. Mm-hmm. It, nothing is ever a big enough deterrent to make me consider the moon phase. I mean, I generally only consider it in the sense of like demon conversations and demon negotiations and bear in mind. And that's usually the case, you know, in more recent games where I'll be like, hey, none of these demons want to talk to me. Oh, yeah, it's full moon. Oh, well, shit. <laughs> Yeah, maybe that's, again, another lesson I just need to learn is that that's not something you can just ignore completely. You kind of have to keep back on. So there, actually, you know what? We're all, Basically, that's it for Persona Fusion, but we did forget one last thing about the battle oh, system. Yeah. There is a formation system, and there is a grid where your enemies can be. Basically, your magic spells or your attacks will explain how far-reaching the attacks are, and if the enemy demons are close enough together, you can usually hit multiple of them. But it just totally depends on the formation. It's kind of hard to explain, but it's kind of like a, I don't know, a 5 by 10 grid, and demons can take up any number of squares within that. And they're just placed on that somehow, and you're, when you have you open up your attack menu, you can see the grid of the attack. I mean, kind of think like an Advanced Wars or like mm-hmm. a, a Fire Emblem game, kind of, but you don't move on the field. You're kind of static. Except you can choose to form your party in different ways, like you can place them further back, uh, you can place them in just different configurations. You can make them a pentagram if you want, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, there is some strategy to that. Like, you would probably want to put your healer uh, further back um, so they're less likely to get hit. Um, yeah. And they are less likely to be doing major damage on the enemies. So there's there's some tactical elements to it. You know, I mean, I think... What may be coming through here is there are a whole lot of systems in these in this game, and they don't necessarily all complement each other one each other particularly well. Yeah, one of the concessions they make with the formation system is that you can pre-program about four different formations and don't switch to them with basically a turn no when you penalty. switch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I said basically no penalty. The only time it usually really matters is when you get like surprise attacks and then your healer is right up front and center to take all the damage but that doesn't happen that often so like usually it's just like oh mark's shotgun is shitty and it can't hit anything ever i just don't worry about it that much because it doesn't (laughs) usually come up and you know uh just like any other jrpg it kind of goes without saying there are preemptive strike battles and then there are also surprise battles the one weird thing about surprise battles is when you're in the first person view on the map, your character does a full 180 yeah. to look and at I his back. I always forget he does that got at the from. end of the battle. It's just like a... It's just... 
it's just such a weird attention to detail where it's just like, oh yeah, my character got distracted and so did I. <laughs> and uh, so the last uh, mechanic we have to talk about, this will go pretty quick though, is uh, stats. Just like SMT, you have stats. Unlike SMT, every level you gain, you gain get to put three points into different categories. We got strength, we got vitality, we got luck, we got speed, oh, no, agility. And we got magic? Dexterity. Dexterity. So I guess that's just different weapon types uh, require different stats. And if you're unarmed, dexterity is better than strength. Yeah, dexterity is the magic stat in this game, oddly enough. Interesting. That's super weird. But yeah, speed is good so you can run away. Agility is good because you would you uh, your chance of hitting and yeah, not agility missing is gets kind of low key. The secret best stat of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I've been pumping a lot of points into agility because it just your the chance of attack just keeps rising and rising, and you get a lot of return because not every stat in like not when you increase the stat, it doesn't necessarily increase the hard stat. Like you have the um, math stat that gets plugged into the formula that turns into the hard stat. So when you like uh, increase uh, strength, that doesn't necessarily right. always mean your damage goes up. But sometimes it does. Assumingly, like every two or three points you put into it. Now, you do get to decide your stat uh, increases, your main character stat increases. What you don't get to decide is your party member stat increases. Which is an interesting choice, because they give you all the customization for everybody's personas, which also affects your stats. And then they just kind of take away that. Like, it's another one of those things where it's like, well, are we going to be a Mega Ten game, or are we going to be a Persona game, or, like, what are we doing here? So, so that's interesting that you say that because I actually think um, taking away control of your yeah. party members is actually very much a Persona thing. Because I'll always think back to Persona 3 in the original version. You just didn't have control over your party member. You could sort of tell them like yeah, what AI them, like, to mani- like take over. And you can manipulate, yeah, like, for, like uh, focus on healing, focus on damage, focus on uh, defense spells. But... In uh, this game, uh, I, I'm not sure if the original Persona 1, you controlled your party members. I assume you do because of the conversation system. Um, but that strikes me as a very, like, like a prototypical mm. version of what they did in Persona 3. So, yeah, that does it with stats. I think we're finally ready to start the game. <laughs> hey, guys, remember when we thought this would be a short episode? <laughs> we're just getting to the game. Told you there was a lot of talk about with the mechanics. Yep. So the game starts out with a uh, bunch of high school kids who are hanging out in a vacant storeroom at school, and uh, they're talking about the mysterious Persona game. With the greatest opening line of all time. Do you want to play Persona? (laughs) 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 Like, it's such a a direct... Let's think about the metaphysical consequences of this. I mean, they're they're literally asking, hey, do you want to play the game you play? Yes, I started it, (laughs) <laughs> it's like I've already made yeah, the commitment, yeah, so. man. You're just making me double guess myself. <laughs> was it a uh, was it a early uh, progenitor of uh, meta indie games like uh, the Stand or like Metal Carmel? Gear Solid Two? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I guess they, that was going on back then too. Um, so yeah, they're just hanging out, uh, and some of them are you know, believe that there's this uh, Persona game where you can somehow contact the other side and uh, make contact with spirits and maybe learn the future. 
Um, and then other, other kids are saying that's bullshit superstition. Anyway, they, they end up doing it. And they make uh, you, they make you pick a side. Yeah. They make you pick a side before you do it. I'm pretty sure. Don't they? Yeah. So there's like, are you a believer or are you a disbeliever? I'm not sure if that affects anything at all. Other than to, I think it's just there to show you that sometimes you're going to have to make a dialogue decision. Yeah. I don't think it, <laughs> I don't think it has any real effect. So they do their, uh, they do the persona game, uh, which is them walking around the room and, um, you know, it's kind of like a, uh, Bloody Mary kind of thing, you know, it's, calling it's a out very, persona. Yeah, it's a very Bloody Mary, uh, the ring kind of idea where it's like, there's a certain act, there's a certain consequence, don't do it, you'll die or whatever. Yeah. But so let's 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 properly describe this. So imagine a rectangle with four pegs at the end of each uh, at, the, at the very corner of each corner, and each of those pegs represents one of our playable characters. And they are going to go. Let's starting in just one of the corners, walk all the way to the other other corner. Say, uh, persona, persona, show yourself, something like that. And that remember, sounds good. Yeah, and then the person that they just stopped next to will now repeat that to the next closest peg, and again, and again, until they've all finally circled the room. Yeah. It is incredibly slow, and a really weird do start it twice. to the game. Yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> they almost do. They, it's like they threaten you with doing it twice. <laughs> It's the yeah, it's not it's not, you know, the most uh grabby, uh intriguing uh introduction. Um so they do it and uh nothing initially happens and the kids don't think the game worked. But then a crying ghost girl shows up in the room and uh the room starts shaking and uh strikes of lightning uh knock the kids into unconsciousness one by one. And then you fall into a dream world, and it goes to a, um, it goes to a, oh, why can't I think of the word right now? Like a cutscene, CGI. Yeah. It goes to like a CGI cutscene, um, where you will see a man in a butterfly mask, kind of looks like a, uh, Phantom of the Opera looking dude, um, standing in this sort of, uh, you know, in this kind of, almost kind of like an opera um opera building or something like that. Um and he asks you for your name and you enter in your name if you're me, like always, it's some kind of like crude dick joke. Oh well um, no, let's go let's go around the around the room. Let's let's all let's all share what we named our characters. Like so here's the one thing you gotta learn. Every character in this game has a real name and their nickname. Dialogue. And almost everybody's known by their nickname. Like, like menus will refer to in them dialogue, by their last name. Yes, but just Ah, yes, true, true. So what did everyone name their main character? Uh, I went with uh, Rod Buttocks and... Uh, Rod Buttocks. Short, short, short name, Butts. Ah. Yeah, I went with Evan again. Of course. I still haven't learned my lesson. Oh, no, it's, it's no, now it's tradition, Evan. Every character, you can't, <laughs> you cannot stray now. You realize this, right? I oh, yeah. You, you well, can't get sick I'm, of I'm Evan. I'm going to stray in Persona 4 because in my mind from the giant bomb streams, the it's Charlie. Hero, it's still Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So what was Evan's, Evan, uh, Evan's nickname? Uh, it was Evan. Evan, Evan. All right. Yeah, it was Evan, Evan. Hey, I'm Evan. My friends call me Evan. 
Evan Evan was my favorite early 2000s goth rock band. Um, I named him Aichi Ian, what did you name your character? Which is what I name all of my Mega Tank characters since Persona 4. No, I was like, is so that a reference like, oh, to something? All these characters have Japanese names, so just I googled Japanese, like, name Japanese like? first names and Japanese last names, and those just sounded nice together. Um, and I don't ever want to do that again, so I just use the same <laughs> name for every game. Oh, I get oh. you. So in his what nickname? Is his nickname, it might be the same. I don't or just actually, the same. I don't remember. So, <laughs> as always, I sort of used like a, I just chose very common Japanese names, a very common Japanese first name, and a very ja- common Japanese last name. I can't remember what I actually <laughs> named him, but his nickname is Fart. Ah, oh, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> with these, uh, with these, uh, dignified names, uh, you, uh, give them to the, um, Phantom the Opera looking guy. And, uh, he says that because you are strong and bold enough to remember your own identity, he's going to grant you the power of persona. Now, this mysterious guy is, uh, Philemon, or Philemon, and, uh, Philemon is an active character in the first two personas. He does not appear in the later games, even though I don't know if it's explicitly stated, but it's heavily implied that uh, Igor and the denizens of the Velvet Room are uh, his servants. Yeah, they don't bring him up in 3 and 4, but like just working knowledge of 1 and 2, you know that they are. Yeah, I'm sure he's there somewhere in the background in some minor well, dialogue the, uh, that none save of us points touch in those somewhere. games are his sure. butterflies. Well, just... the golden butterflies, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, was, I was thinking about the fact that the butterflies become a recurring motif, and so that probably marks his presence. Yeah. Um, and uh, Philmon actually was inspired from the ri- uh, by the writings of uh, Carl Jung, uh, who uh, characterized him as a wise spirit guide. And uh, Philemon appeared to uh, Jung in in a dream that he had in 1913, and uh, then was sort of (laughs) Jung's uh, imaginary friend for many years after that, and would walk down the street having, uh, walk down the street just having these kind of, like, hypothetical conversations with with Philemon. Um, What's that um, thought form thing that... um... My uh, Little Tol- Pony Tans, my my little pony fans. Um, uh, he, yeah, yeah, Tolpa. Tolpa, yeah. Yeah, the idea of that you can, uh, yeah, somehow create. A, I shouldn't uh, say thought. Create an actual being out of a thought form. I shouldn't say My Little Pony fans because there are plenty of perfectly reasonable My Little Pony fans, but you know the ones I meet, the ones that are too into it. Also, you know, tulpas are a really cool concept from uh, Buddhist and uh, Asian mysticism going back many, many centuries. Right, right. It's uh, it's an old idea that was, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Appropriated by a different group of people, and that's how it's become known in the modern context. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, whether or not um, Jung actually manifested a uh, Philemon tulpa, or he was just having conversations with himself. Uh, he did, for the rest of his life, walk around uh, occasionally having uh, hypothetical conversations with this wise spirit guide that he had met in a dream. So, uh, you know, 
that the resonances you can definitely see carry out, you know, in Persona's themes as far as like a wise spirit guide who kind of comes from a collective unconscious and, you know, speaks to you from a dream world. And the very idea of personas being like aspects of your personality. Yeah, like we'd be remiss if we didn't at least mention the fact that Carl Jung was the person who created the idea of a persona. Like that was his philosophical concept on the human psyche. Mm -hmm. Not that I know too much about what he had to say about that. I am not an expert in psychology or psychology history, as the case may be. So yeah, that that that, that pretty much takes care of the intro, right? Yeah. Oh man, there are there are a lot of them in this game actually, um, and they're all pretty well developed. I mean, like for the time at least for the for a PS One game, they were incredibly well developed. Yeah, there, there is a lot of just dialogue that lets you know who these people are, which is really cool. You've got your main character, well, like your quote unquote main character. Um, I think his official name is from the manga. Is that what they call the boy him? with the pierced earring? Is or the pierced ear? That is his official name oh, boy, because that's, that's what they good. refer to him as. Um, in he has too. no personality and no defining features, like at all. He's kind of smirking, uh, like even like Persona two, three, and four, like your dialogue options and like the actions you take in cutscenes and the way people respond to you, like imply things about your personality. And Persona one is just nothing. You are, you make occasional decisions, um, and otherwise you're just kind of there in cutscenes. You know, side note, one of my favorite things, I I know this isn't official, they ended up changing his name, but before the Persona 4 protagonist had an official name, the first piece of media that named him just was like, well, why not just name him you? I think. (laughs) And I I just always thought that was so funny. (laughs) Like, it was so stupid. I think that's what they call him in Arena. I thought it was, I thought it was... Which... Yeah, Yeah, you... Nakamura, that sounds Nakamura. right. Narakami, something like that. Nar- Narakami sounds brighter. <laughs> I'm, I'm now. I have to look it up because we can't have uh, this wrong that's fact good, if it's wrong. Yeah, just call him you. That's that's terrible. That's amazing. Oh it's shit! That so is his official good. name. You Narukama, Kami. New. You Narukami. I could have sworn. Oh no! I guess I got it backward. Oh, there it is. His first name was oh, actually no. Soji Seta. I thought that was his official name, and you was the manga, but it's actually the opposite. Slap him with three or four different names. But anyway, we're making movies. Let's, I don't know. Come up with a new one. Whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Tell um, me. Okay, uh, so we got we got him. He's he's nothing. He's barely a character. Does he? Hero's got purple hair. Purple. It's like it's like purplish black. Like it's it's clearly supposed to be black, but enough people have yeah, like, like this sort of off black. Uh, gotta shade it somehow. Color. It was a weird character. And he's got portraits, man. purplish. Like, all, black everything hair. about the coloring in this game is just weird and vaguely off. Oh, it's bad. Oh, it's so bad. We're not even. I'll, I'll okay, talk about it when we get to the Kai character. Nanjo, we'll going. who in America was renamed Nate Trinity, which is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <yeah>. Nate Trinity. <laughs> I guess they they need Why? like a vaguely corporate name. So like what instead of name? the Nanjo Group, it's Trinity Corp. Um, and they were just like, well, I guess that's still his name, so whatever. <laughs> um, but he's, like, the heir to this, like, big corporate conglomerate, and he's, like, super arrogant and a real prick to you, like, at pretty much every opportunity. Um, he's, he kind of flip-flops. 
and that's reflected in his dialogue choices in battle. Like all of his uh, stuff is real negative, like um, insult, uh, trick, yeah. kick. Yeah, it's not kick, but he's a real dick all the time. Like I just like that they they went that far with the. That, I mean, that's why the characters like they had to have personalities because their personalities are reflected in the conversation. Yeah, system. and that's a really cool Even way to like slightly. make that distinction between mm-hmm. their dialogue choices. Because they didn't have to do that. It could have just been generic actions. And in almost any other game, it probably would have been. Uh, and his defining physical characteristics are he has glasses. Oh, it's wears so a, bad. Like this dumb-looking scarf that he wears. And like his a, full character like a portrait, front it's got a big number it's, one on it. Because he wants to be the number one guy. <laughs> yeah. He's number one. Um, and uh, oh, yeah, he wants to be the number one man in Japan. So there's like... There's, is, is there just, like, a hidden implication that his uh, dad's yeah, I think involved there is, with the, the um, mob? Persona 3 definitely has that implication with their, like, family-based conglomerate group. And there's, like, Easter egg drop that, like, those two families are related. Um, that's a real stretch. But, yeah, I think so. He's also, um, he kind of right, right. is the, I guess, one of the moral representations in this game like he's always the one who like when you have to make a choice who's like taking the machiavellian path of like oh yeah just leave that guy to die whatever it's what he wants and in dialogue he like flip-flops between being like an arrogant douche high school kid and like saying things like ordinarily i would leave this person to die for their mistakes but he has something we need so we should go help him and it's like (laughs) damn dude like you're in high you're 17 chill the fuck out (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> you get the sense that he thinks of himself as being like almost a different species than the rest of his classmates he's he's read <laughs> too many uh too much of the fountainhead and uh alice um, <laughs> there's yuka ayase who is kind of like a stereotypical like dumb blonde high school person um i don't actually know that much about her because she's one of the optional like so you have four people in your party in the main path you just kind of end up with, and then you have a fifth slot that you just sort of fill with the first person you agree to let come along with you. And she's the last person to show up, aside from the super hidden optional character. So uh, I just kind of ran into her, told her she couldn't join up, and she called me an asshole and left. And that was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, happened, that's what happened to me, too. Yeah, Paul, did you have her? That was my, no, that was my experience as well. Evan? Yeah, I, I didn't get her in my party ever. And actually, because of the because the person I was trying to recruit, I don't think I'll ever get her in my party. Yeah, well, I didn't have her either. So none of us actually grabbed this character. I mean, I assume battle-wise, she just, you know, has a better arcana. Like, I, I'm looking at her list, and it's like she's the magician. And everyone's just got one arcana that they're good with. I don't know enough about the arcana <laughs> memorized to really maximize my party in a way where I'm choosing characters based off their best Yeah, arcana. so she, I mean, she kind of sucks anyway. Like, I never had a conversation with Yuko where I was like, oh, yeah. ISA seems really cool, and I would like to have her along. Though the fact that the game doesn't really give you the chance to do it, <laughs> you just kind of get stuck with the first person you agree to let into your party. Like, someone will ask to come along, and if you say yes, that's it. And yeah. all the other people who want to join, you just automatically say, no, go, go away, do whatever. It's like, you have to have, yeah, um, you have, to, you have, have to have the guy with protagonist, Mark, you have Manjo, have and then yeah. uh, Maki. And everyone else will just kind of show up at some point and say, hey, I should tag along. Or. Yeah. 
Except for one character, which you can only you use for a little bit, but she is only usable oh, God, in the Snow Queen quest full time. We'll talk about her. Yeah, she's the best um, character yeah. design. It's terrible. Yeah. But anyway, let me let me say something yeah, about Yuka. Really I fucking hate her coloring. Oh my god. Oh yeah. Like her hair, her hair, just, looks her, just like atrocious. Everybody's skin looks weird in this game, but like hers, for some reason, like contrasted with the weird blonde hair, yeah, is just extra. Like, ah, stop. Yeah. And like, honestly, it's way better than like the whited up versions. Yeah, those, from the Persona they One look on PS One. Like, you've seen those, right? And all they did was just, like, make everyone pale monstrous. and blonde. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because Americans couldn't possibly, you know, Japanese people don't have souls. It's just not possible to care. I fucking hate that mentality. I was just thinking today about, like, like, have you guys yeah. ever seen the movie Glory with Matthew Broderick? Mm, yeah. 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 Who said, wait, how many no's was that? Yeah. Uh, no. No, it's no from Evan. Yeah, Ian? just me. Okay. You see? Okay. Evan, it is... Uh, one of those uh, feel-good white people movies where it, Glory is about the f- the first all-black battalion in the American army during the Civil War. But who's the star of the movie? It's Matthew Broderick, their commander. <laughs> and there is this one scene where, like, he has to punish a black guy for, um, I forget the actor, but he's he did something that he thought was illegal, and he punishes him for last lashes and the dude takes off his shirt and he's covered with scars because he was a former slave and he was beaten and while he's being beaten like in front of all the other uh troops like he stares at matthew broderick while this really sad violin music plays and it's it is like a <laughs> yeah, two minute like long a, shot we didn't need that filtered through matthew broderick's perspective to feel bad about that yeah, yeah just no, just tell me the story of the black troops, that man. Thing. That's all I need. I don't need another white character to tell me that that's like, <laughs> no, what I should be feeling in that moment. Yeah, but the script is all just like, oh, these the audience members will cry once they see how bad this hurts Matthew Broderick. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that is hilariously awful. Uh, I think okay, so. so who, uh, are we done with Yuka? We've got Mark. Masao Inaba. Right, so Mark? Uh... In quotes, Mark, they just left him as Mark in America. Um, he's, he's kind of a weird guy to pin down. Like, he's artsy. Like, he, he makes really wonderful graffiti paintings that everyone's really impressed with. Um, and he's, he's not, like, the jokey guy, because another guy is the jokey guy. But he's definitely, like, the butt of jokes. Uh, mm-hmm. He's, like, he's the guy yeah, who thinks definitely. he's cool, but no one um, else does. And he's got a, he's yeah. got a big old crush on Maki, which is maybe gonna be important to the plot we'll find out later i guess um i mean it was kind of important already he kind of instigates a lot of the early actions that you take um in fights he he has an axe and a shotgun and his shotgun is fucking terrible and can't hit anything ever um but he's he's a pretty like good (laughs) like physical (laughs) character like his magic's not great it's got like a a real wide swing it's nice (laughs) <laughs> he also looks like a real yeah. jackass. He's got like late '90s raver. I have to say, I mean, <laughs> it's definitely an improvement. You know, the original design is definitely an improvement on over his uh, uh, PS1 African American. Uh, you know, portrayal, there's there's one thing about the PS1 version I like better, that and that's that he's wearing a baseball hat instead of this ridiculous it's like, like a sock hat. But then he like. Thing? 
yeah. has something on under it so it like sticks all the way up and it's taller than his actual head. It's pretty bad. He's got like Naruto whiskers. And he has Yeah, he's got these bizarre like I think of them as like really like just bad <laughs> like temporary so. tattoos or uh, something. But yeah, he's he dances crazy. He's the cool guy. Um I don't know. I I <laughs> I like him. I like almost everybody. Uh we've got Hidehiko Uesugi? Uh, the game just calls him Brown. I, that's his... <laughs> I, the I best guess nickname. His hair is kind like, of... Color. It's kind of red. But it's, like, it's more like the more noticeable feature of his hair is that he has yeah, like this magenta like, streak in it. I, it like, what you is know, that? it's reddish. Maroon. He's got these big Maroon. That's doofy the one goggles and these bright red like boots and he's wearing like three watches. Uh, he's... But, like, there's so yeah. many colors. There's more red know, on him man. than I don't know what to tell you. Why not red? <laughs> well, also, he is, like, the, the class clown character. Like, he's real like, jokey, and he makes a lot of, like, dumb puns. Uh, when you actually, when you free him from the police station later, I wrote down what he says if you talk to him, because he's, like, just awakened his persona. He's, like, trying out new catchphrases. And he says, let's go, or persona. Like, no, 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 those are really lame. How about go get them? Yeah, I really like that one. It's like, come on, man. Like, go get them is the one you're going to go with? I had an interaction with him a little later in the game, and he uh, he asked me, it's like, uh, tell me, man, you got secrets, right? And it's like, basically, yes or no. And he said, He's yes, a weird he's guy. Like, Did anyone end up it. with him on their team? <laughs> Anybody else? Yeah. He's on mine. Yeah, I went. Mm. I went with uh, Raiji, so no. Yeah, we we specifically assigned <laughs> yeah, Evan to get good. the hardest character. I don't know just anything about Raiji. Do <laughs> I, I I I tried, but I fucked it up. I, like it's really easy to fuck up. Actually, you kind of have to follow a very specific set of instructions. Well, I guess uh, since we're talking about him, uh, Raiji Kido is uh, his nickname is just Raiji. He's kind of the like loner. Uh, <laughs> he's the kind of guy that would li- listen to Lincoln Park in the nineties. <laughs> It, it just for context, this is like this is the Vincent of the game. This is something yeah. that's out of your way to do to go get. And we'll get into like exactly how to get him a little bit later. But he's very standoffish. He's very aloof, and he he's the kind of guy that like <laughs> they established early on. He likes to hang out in abandoned warehouses. Like, that is a lot of dialogue that NPC will tell you. <laughs> See, yeah, like basically, he likes to hang out on the set of like a Lincoln Park music video, just in case oh, something might spontaneously shit. happen there. Right? I mean, that's, yeah, it's a good line to have on a dating pro on a dating profile, just like likes hanging out <laughs> in abandoned warehouses, possible, <laughs> possible dangerous places, alleyways in the dark, whatever. Yeah, and he's got a as a defining feature aside from his like long, probably oily hair is the uh, big old X he has right in his forehead, uh, like somebody started to carve the Maryland. Uh, is someone? It's like somebody started a car of that. Um, I'm drawing a blank. That serial killer with the um, swastika on his forehead. Oh, Charles Manson. Charles Manson. Yeah. I almost said Marilyn Manson. Yeah, it's <laughs> like someone started started a car of the Charles Charles Manson swastika and stopped halfway through. Yes, <laughs> that is very rude. I will have you know that Ash Wednesday <laughs> is celebrated by millions of Catholics worldwide. This this is not Man, that guys. I just pulled up that full character <laughs> portrait. Can I describe to you what he looks like from the neck down? Yeah, no. He's wearing there's his so many school things uniform, to talk about. yes, but there's no undershirt. He's just wearing the jacket, and you can see his impeccable abs. Um, uh-huh. His impeccable... Yeah, he I definitely think has eight there are abs. more abs than a human has there. 
one he has extra definitely set. some sort just of kind of like go up into where his pecs should be. Uh, but you, you can't really see his pecs; his jacket covers them. So I don't, I don't know what's going on over there. <laughs> so they're not abs; it's an upside down horseshoe crab that's sort of buried under his skin. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, well, well he I is mean, how pretty not hardcore, seen it so, so obvious like, once wow. you say it. Oh my god, are you guys noticing that to the left of his picture on the wiki, it says appearances, oh Demi-Kids light and dark version? <laughs> guys, oh we no. gotta play Demi-Kids! Oh my god. So, yes, yes, The other yes, thing yes. is, he, so he's the boxer of the group, and one of my favorite things about him is, he has these American flag, like, uh, not, not full-size boxing gloves, but like MMA gloves. And his knuckles are the stars <laughs> yes. in the blue part of the flag. It's, oh man, this guy... Looks like mm-hmm. the biggest Dorcas, and I love him so much. <laughs> it's it's a pretty great character design in a, in a game with pretty shit character design. <laughs> um, I mean, the one thing we did not mention is that he also has a legitimate choker, like a chain on his choker, just to make <laughs> choking him that much easier. The best way to describe his personality is like if um, uh, Kaiji from uh, wait, I'm still oh, okay. drawing a blank with that name. Actually, never mind. Also known as Six Pack Leader. He doesn't have a six pack. He has an eight pack. It's <laughs> fucked up. It's like they didn't count. Uh, we've got okay. Eriko we next? Kirishima. Uh, her nickname is Ellie in game, and in America they just changed it to Ellen for some reason. Um, I honestly kind of wish I had grabbed her. Once I realized what was happening, um, I Brown. actually reloaded my save so I could have her because she's great. She's my favorite. She's like a. Like mm-hmm. a rich preppy anime girl, she's like spoiled sweet, and and like it, like kind of imagine Yuriko if she uh, Yuriko for a four. If the she difference was a shitty is that Eriko mm-hmm. is like super into like occult stuff, and for the whole game, like whenever something weird happens, she's just like, "Oh, this is amazing, you guys! I'm having so much fun," and she's just like oh, real happy and real chirpy, and just like. Like, she knows when the bad guy, like, when his persona is summoned, she, like, knows, like, oh, that's a, that's a demon that represents, like, death and disease. And it's like, what do you, why do you know these things, Erigo? That's not who, like, your character archetype is. And she's just very charming. And she's got, like, a fun neckerchief <laughs> and cool hair. And uh, I like her a lot. <laughs> no, I do. I really like her. She's good. I, I, like I said, wish I had her in my party. I, I I like Brown uh, enough that I don't care that much, but... The only real downside with her is that she uses the same swords as the main character. Um, like, most of the characters have distinct weapons. Oh, no! So she only gets a hand-me-down? She, she does have, have better, better magic. magic. She's, like, kind of naturally magic-y. But, and her gun is super good, like, for as much as guns are useful in this game. But, um, yeah, she always kind of ends up... Because there's never enough equipment to go around Man, for both so... of them. So she always ends up with the hand-me-downs for me. Guys, do guns uh-huh. stick around? Yeah. Like in later SMG games? Do they ever become, like, a more tactical option ever? Guns are, what feels... I u- guns are what I use in the later yep. SMT games when I'm out of MP. I see. Because so they're, it, they, often... they, they're, they're a good backup, you're saying? They do pierce damage, uh, which... Uh, can be more effective than uh, just sword damage. Okay, because it's just like, at this point, they've yet to make guns a very interesting option in terms of combat. It just I hasn't really played a happen. game where they weren't really more than situationally yet. useful to, right. like, exploit weaknesses. Which isn't even 
Yeah. Well, I mean, that's all I want. And that's it's not just, even, like, so like, far, they haven't don't matter that much in this game, because, like, later games will use, like, a system where if you exploit a weakness, then you'll get an extra action or, like, another turn. Uh, in this game, you just do a little bit more damage. It's usually just enough to kill them in one turn. Yeah, and it's uh, pretty turn easy if you're leveled up enough. So it's like it it's good to do it because it just ends the battle much quicker. Like if you just explore every floor that you're presented with, then you're not gonna have a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. Um who else do we have? Uh I I just want it on the record that she's great and I love her. Um but otherwise I think I'm I'm good on her. Uh we've got Maki Okay, Sanamua or Mary in English. Um, yeah, it's real bad. I She's got fucking hate her hair. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how far? How like how large is I think her, her head? Proofs out. I don't know how much of that is head under there. <laughs> it's the thing that makes me think it's head is the big floppy bow on the top, mm-hmm. which I also <laughs> aesthetically it displeases me. Speaking of aesthetic displeasure. Um, I don't know whose idea it was for the school uniform in this game to just be a bland gray jumpsuit with no features, but that was a real dumb move. Um, the PlayStation 1 was probably <laughs> responsible for that. <laughs> yeah, well, and, you know, to add insult to injury, people comment on, comment about how cool your outfit is. You look like where a person was... Like, if someone took magic scissors and, like, cut a hole in the universe that was person-shaped, that's what your characters look like. You're just a gray. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you, are the, you are the background of existence. <laughs> I understand I exactly later. what you mean. Yeah, it's, it's pretty dumb. And it's, like, the one character I think it works on, it only works because they gave her a slightly different outfit. And it's, like, it's still gray, but it's... <laughs> Like, literally, the only distinctions, really, is, like, I mean, that's why they do weird things. Like, Raiji doesn't have a shirt, or, like, some people wear shorter skirts or pants because, or a real douchey scarf, because they just, they get, they they chose a real bad uh, blank slate. And I realize that's sort of, like, a limitation that Japanese media has to deal with when casting, uh, you know, high schoolers in a plot, because it's, like, for a certain amount of the day, they're all going to be wearing the same outfit. That's just part of life in Japan. I understand that. It's just, they didn't handle it right in this case. Like later Persona games will have the same thing where like there's a uniform, but all the characters like stylize it in really like ways that wouldn't be acceptable in real life, but that make them really like distinct looking in a good way. And this game just kind of like doesn't really do that. But um, Maki's outfit is really bland, but hey, so is Maki, so, like, it fits. Um, Maki's super bland, she's plot-relevant. At some at some point very soon, you you basically are under the understanding that Maki has been in the hospital for a good while in a coma from an accident months ago. I think she's been in the hospital for, like, six months when the game starts, and, she, like, they talk about how she doesn't really do anything, and she's, yeah. like, really unhappy, and she just kind of sits around waiting for people to visit her. Uh, which is sad, but, like, her actual personality mm-hmm. once the game gets started, like, outside of the things that make her the plot-important character in the game, she is just, like, the most generic, like, female JRPG protagonist 101. Her entire personality is just questions. Like, um, she never, like, I feel like she never makes a declarative yeah, statement. Yeah, like, her entire function is just, like, the mystery 
that is presented for the story. Like she doesn't have any personality traits on top of that. Yeah. She is she is a MacGuffin yeah. described uh, like disguised as a person. But that's all the main characters on this route. There's also Yukino Mayazumi, uh, or just Yuki for short. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. Now, this Here's is my wife who even um, Ian's You're lucky that Eriko stole um, me away because Yukino is definitely the coolest character in this game. Um, Yukino is pretty great. She's like real self confident. Her mm-hmm. main physical, this is what I was talking about earlier. Her main physical character distinction is she's got short hair and she's wearing a very long skirt. It makes her look like a little more refined and older and sophisticated she, than the rest sure. of her compatriots. And she's also got she a not, chain wall. Oh, no. And she just comes across as, uh, yeah, smarter and more mature than any of the other characters. Like, I want her to be my big sister and hang out with me and give me advice. <laughs> I want her. I want her to be the librarian at my local. You know, library. Yukino has good taste in books, and to recommend me good books. That is a fact. And, <laughs> um, and I want my girlfriend to be my girlfriend. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's a video game. In later ones, I have to pick girls to date. So you're gonna have to Did you deal. <laughs> oh this man, if you let me on, on that right forecast, we'll, ha- we'll have a fight. It's Chie, damn it. Yeah, End of discussion, edit out girl. any uh, objections from Ian. <laughs> anyway, so we got, a, yeah. we got Yukino. She's pretty great. You only get to use her for a real short amount of time. Um, yeah. Yeah, you don't really get a lot of like time to really understand what her strengths are as a, phys- as a character in trivial. combat on this particular route. Um, yeah, and like you get to play with her persona just a tad, but it, it goes away. She is only in your party full time if you go to the Snow Queen route, which again we will talk about in a moment. Okay, so that's all the playable characters. Yeah, so after uh, meeting with Philemon and having him compliment you on knowing your own name, you wake up at the school infirmary. Uh, Like with a lot of other Persona games, the nurse at the school is weirdly into the main character, despite being old enough to be his mother. And um, (laughs) Oh my god, I completely forgot about that social link! Oh my god. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh, that's all coming back to me right now, Jesus Christ. There's a yeah. There's a specific social link at Persona Four that we'll get to in that episode. That we'll, we will need That's to devote some significant one. time to talk about the nurse social link. Uh, but yeah, so you meet the nurse, uh, another teacher, and basically says, "Ah, you you blacked out." But uh, because blacking out, a bunch of students blacking out at once isn't suspicious at all. Eh, just you know, go about your day. So you're released. You're free to wander around the school. Um, you talk to um, you talk to Mark who is really interested in seeing Maki. Uh, despite the fact that you just passed out, cold, uh, might have had a seizure, who knows, uh, in the middle of school, he's more interested in seeing her, who had the coma six months ago. 
Uh, so if you're going the normal route, you just head straight to the hospital. Uh, but if you're doing what I did and trying to get Raiji Keto, uh, there's a really weird, obscure side quest you have to go down in order to find him. Uh, when Brian said that this guy is kind of like Vincent from Final Fantasy, he is... I, I'm convinced, like, you're not going to find him just through normal play. It uh, was so the, more than just the, like, you're not going to get him if you're only going, like, it was, it was the basic metaphor of Vincent. Totally optional, easily yeah. missable. Yeah, because so you can actually miss him if you don't do something immediately as soon as you start taking control after the school part. So before going to the hospital to actually visit Maki, you have to wander around town until you find uh, Raiji's mom just kind of hanging out at the at the Persona 7-Eleven in the mall. And she says, oh, hey, uh, you, you go to that school, huh? Uh, you know Raiji? Yeah, he, he doesn't have friends. He's not very sociable. Uh, could you maybe make friends with him? And then after you talk to her, you have to wander around until you find a casino where uh, a bunch of punks are complaining about how Raiji uh, thinks he's too cool for everybody. You know, like and what cool people do. And he likes hanging do. out in abandoned warehouses. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, you go to the warehouse and... <laughs> Raiji will threaten to kill you and then storm off. And that is that is everything that you have to do right now in order to recruit him a little bit later on. There are actually uh, so with that taken like care several of, little right scenes that you can get if you just kind of like wander around town instead of going to the hospital. Uh, like you can go to the Sebek building and like confront the villain before he like does anything villainous. But like Nanjo will like pick a fight with him. And uh, you like there are a lot of little locations because there are like six screens on the map and every screen has like a little cutscene you can see. And uh, if you talk to your characters during them, they'll be like, hey, should we, should we go to the hospital? Like, the teacher told us, to, like, what are you doing? Uh, but you get, like, little neat cutscenes for investigating before you, like, do what the game wants you to do. <laughs> That's really interesting. I didn't know that. I missed most of that. I'm pretty sure I, I stumbled upon one. I just didn't realize that they were so prominent. Um, you know, while we're talking about the world map, might as well mention that it's definitely nowhere near as big as SMT1 which is taking you all across the uh, eastern shore of Japan. In uh, Persona 1, you are basically getting six squares of a city, like just six screens of a city map. And you can just uh, shift between them by walking along the roads into the next screen. It sets the precedent for Persona games being a lot more like local than mainline SMT games. Like Every Persona game is uh, a lot smaller scale like in terms of like geography. Definitely, definitely. And uh, you can, um, uh, it, not sure if you guys knew this, but if you press square, oh, it it'll show so you the names of everything on the screen. I did not <laughs> know that. That's an amazing, I think you just changed my life. <laughs> Am I the I only one that, that just presses all the buttons to see what they do? <laughs> oh, no, I do that too. <laughs> okay, so, um, yeah, uh, where was I? Oh, we're getting to the hospital, and the hospital is a place where Maki is. She's in a room, and you got to find the room, and nothing's really happening. Um, you visit Maki, she's bedridden, and she um, suddenly gets overwhelmed, taken into surgery. The building begins to shake like a major earthquake, after which you can't get to the operating room. The door opens into a solid wall when you're on the map in the dungeon. The whole hospital's layout has changed and then the dead begin to walk. Suddenly there are demons about. You have transversed into some other dimension, some other world. Perhaps the Twilight Zone? 
Um, there's a there's a real cute moment I like here with Ellie where she uh, thinks she's the only one who can summon a persona. Like she bursts into the room and is like, "Don't worry, guys, <laughs> I've got this," and summons. He's like, I'm busting to save the day. And that's actually uh, introduces a pretty consistent theme, which is that everyone in this game thinks they're special until they realize that someone else has a persona. Yeah. And that's very interesting because it's such a subversion of JRPG where you're immediately special. Like you do assume you're immediately special because you got the persona. You're the only one that you've seen with it. But then the game keeps ripping that away from you. And it's just like, no, here's another one. Here's another one. Here's another one. You aren't special. You aren't. A this is also where Nanjo gets his motivation for like so far the entire game because he's got this real cute old butler uh, named Yamaoka who like you can run into before the hospital and he'll be oh, like, God. "Oh, sir, you have friends. That's so nice. Will they be staying for like dinner?" And he's like, oh, Yamaoka, you're embarrassing me. Stop. These these Cretans don't deserve like. <laughs> and then he. When you first come to the hospital to visit Maki, you can see Yamaoka like he's all hiding behind a vending machine in the corner. Because Nanjo was like, "Don't follow me. I don't need it. Like it's fine. Don't worry about it." And he's like, "Don't tell him I'm here. I just I get so worried. I just want to take care of him." It's like, "Oh, you're the best." And he um, dies here. He gets killed by demons. Um, and Nanjo's real busted up about it for mm-hmm. like the whole dungeon basically. But then that like motivates his anger towards the villain. He definitely is the most beef with the bad guy in the game oh yeah well you definitely get the sense that this butler is his like surrogate father definitely doesn't have like a relationship with his parents like it's a real batman kind of thing except his parents probably aren't yeah <laughs> yeah like like batman if uh... <laughs> like batman but not even a little bit <laughs> <laughs> so i think we've run that metaphor into the ground okay so <laughs> wait isn't this where we also meet Maki. Um, no, she shows up at the school, right? Okay, so we still gotta go away. Yeah. So what's the lead that gets you to go to the shrine to find her mother? There's something that's said that leads you to the shrine, right. and I can't actually remember what it was. Anyone recall? Uh, there's so- I, th- I think there's somebody in the, um... Oh, the yeah, there's a nurse that, you that tells you that. Yeah. Just like, oh, they were, they were just informed... Oh, they, it was just like, oh, that's where... Like, her mom was yeah. just visiting, and, like, that's where she went, or something like that. All right, so you go to Ayama Shrine, which is, you know, just on the road like everything is. You find Maki's mother wounded by gunshots, and she tells them that the person responsible for all this demon stuff is Takashi Kandori, who runs Sebek, an organization. It's like an an acronym, S-E-B-E-C, but I'm not going to spell that out every time, so we're just going to go with Sebek. I hope that's cool with everybody. Like that hit album yep. uh, C change by Beck, but then you just go, you know, it's just like, that's too long, so you shorten it like the SeaTac Airport. <laughs> and uh, she uh, tells you that uh, the guy who runs Sebek is messing around with the Deva system, which is a machine that uh, can kind of, um, uh, to put it bluntly, change reality. So <laughs> you kind of get this lead that uh, these Sebek guys are who you want to go to. You go back on the world map at this point. You can uh, you can try to go into the Sebek headquarters, and there will be guards there to ward you off. And there's nothing. You, can do. you kind of got to figure out another way in. Uh, looks like uh, you you guys can get guns oh, from no, the police you station. Can, I did not um, until later. But Mark and Nanjo leave your party at that point, and they go to go get guns. Oh, that's true. You right, you have a three person party for a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, as so, yeah, you, you're going for to school for safety, more or less. Yeah, you're basically carrying her body, or carrying her unconscious body to the school because like you can't go back to the hospital, so you're taking her to the infirmary. And you run into a, a golden butterfly, I believe. And everyone immediately ascribes yes. way more meaning to this butterfly than I would have in that situation because like it doesn't do anything special and it doesn't talk <laughs> and it, it just kind of like flutters around and everyone's like, oh, a golden butterfly that that must be like super important this butterfly is alive and it's sentient and it's telling us that. Like, it's, what are you talking it's a butterfly i assume it's like a it's an extraordinarily gold butterfly it's not like it's just gold colored i think mm. this is a butterfly made of gold and it is sentient like if you saw that that would be something you would i think notice and comment on because it would be <laughs> thicker than a normal butterfly and you would just you would you would see the color and like notice the weird metallicness of it, right? I'm just saying. This is my supposition. Like, I guess there's no it just canonical even way do to say anything. Either way, it just flies around, that, and everyone's like, "Whoa, what's that true. butterfly's deal?" But it's yeah, clear definitely. the game wants us to notice it's there. So, and then well, you head back to school, and um, you do stuff happens. Uh, you head back to school because you hear that it's still safe there. Um, and uh, you go there and the uh, gates are locked. There's a girl at the entrance that demands a password and Ellie gives it. And it's a uh, phenomenal password. It's uh, roses are red, zombies are blue. I don't want to eat brains, so you know I'm true. <laughs> I gotta know what that said in Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know that's so dumb I gotta think like that was the localizer just being like well we gotta put something <laughs> it's it's good like it, it definitely stopped me in my tracks when I was playing and I was like like it, it's bad yeah it, it made me smile it's a bad joke good, it's not I like I mean I guess it's kind of clever sort of like well it's just a bad password. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> true. Just, it's I mean, everyone knows rhymes. zombies have a hard time rhyming. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's the weakness. Okay, that's why zombies are. Uh, if if there was like a Dark Souls lore thing where zombies were um, like prone to sleep when you communicated with them in battle, then that would be. I would give it a plus if that were true. Well, it's also funny because, you know, I mean, there are definitely zombies in this game, but uh, they're just part of the larger, um, you know, uh, world demons. It's not like this is a zombie game specifically. So I don't know why wanting to wanting you to uh, verify your non-zombie nature. I think at this point they're just confused about what's going on. And uh, in, in a lot of these games, like usually the demon invasion starts with the dead coming to life. <laughs> Right, I actually really right. like the way this game handles, like, the way the town reacts to the apocalypse. Everyone's scared and freaked out, but they <laughs> mobilize pretty quickly, and the school becomes this, like, at least early on in the game, this kind of, like, fortress of, like, okay, the teachers, like, got all these kids together, and they started blocking up the damaged walls, and they uh, have a password, and they shut the gate, and, like, everyone kind of, like, the mall does that, too, and just, like, the way people respond to the crisis is really like unique and interesting in like the world of apocalyptic games. You know, Evan, that's actually, I never thought really about the uh, zombies as the start of the apocalypse in those terms. Cause that's very interesting because it's just such an interesting decision that the enemies are always like one of the first things you fight in a persona game. It's, 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 um, uh, you know, they're the equivalent of pers in persona SMT games 
of like, uh, oh god, what's the most basic Final Fantasy enemy? Or slime in Dragon Quest. Slime is the easiest example. Uh, it's just like something you're fighting at low levels, something that you think is a threat for a minute, but it's really just, it's preparing you for the worst things to come. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. <laughs> so uh, you take uh, Maki's mom to the infirmary, and uh, the nurse tells you that uh, you should go take a message to uh, the people who are gu- guarding a giant hole in the wall. And um, you should help them go block it. You go over there uh, to, or go towards where, where the giant hole in the wall is. And you this run is when in- Yukino leaves and just disappears. Yeah, like, she goes that? to the hole immediately. And you're supposed to, like, take a message to her specifically. Yep, and that thread just drops. Well, it's picked up in the Ice Queen route. So let's talk about this. So the Ice Queen route is a separate campaign for Persona 1 that is somewhat shorter in terms of story content, but significantly harder. It requires more preparation for the than the normal Sebek route. Um, the Ice Queen route uh, involves infiltrating three different towers and taking them down under time limits with harder enemies with more insta-kill moves, etc., etc. Um, you get a different party member set if you go the Ice Queen route, one of them specifically being Yukino, who is only available in the Ice Queen route permanently. Yeah, that's a real, uh, again, real bummer. Bummer. Ideal party for me would be main character, Yukino, um, I would keep, uh, I would keep Kai, uh, Ellie, yep, and, same. you know what, Raiji, ideal team. I like Mark, but he's <laughs> yeah, kind of a dweeb. Good. Yeah. I, like, if there were a six-character slot, it would go to Mark, but just, I'm sorry, Mark, this has gotta be cut somewhere. Did we talk about <laughs> the fact that Mark has, like, these dumb <laughs> eye tattoos? Yeah, we do. Oh, yeah. He's terrible. <laughs> God, they're so awful. Okay, keep going. So, uh, somewhere this, uh, around this time, you run into Maki, who uh, is very, very different than uh, how she was when you saw her in the hospital. Uh, she looks normal, but she's up and walking around, and uh, she doesn't remember being hospitalized. And she's pretty much in a full state of amnesia, or what we will, you know... Assumed to be amnesia at this point. Yeah. Okay. So the mystery. Let's, let's not ruin the mystery yet. But she's she can't. She she's asking a lot of questions. She's acting very strange. Like, mm-hmm. and it is assumed amnesia. But it's obviously by not, other characters upon her. Like, but something's up with her. Yeah. No, that doesn't make sense because she remembers too many things. And even like basic, like she doesn't remember being hospitalized, but she also like doesn't remember that police stations exist. Like, she has to be, like, remind, like, oh, yeah, police stations. I remember they used to have those. And it's like, that's a weird thing to say, Maki. So, like, <laughs> Maki. Oh, just you, you jokester. Clearly, there's more going on with her. Uh, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> so, uh, she, I guess she joins your team at this point. Um... And Kai runs in, and he tells you that uh, Mark got captured by the police, and you need to uh, run off to rescue him. And so, instead of uh, helping uh, block the hole in the wall, now you use the hole in the wall to uh, leave the school. Um, And you head over to the police station. Um, And you have to find a key 
when you first show up there. Um, you get uh, you get uh, assaulted by a group of uh, police who have uh, turned into evil ghosts who uh, talk in a really bizarre way, and uh, you battle them. You find the key. You go through a really simple simple dungeon. You find uh, Mark and uh, Hidehiko, and uh, all decide to go see what's going on with uh, Sebek. Um, this is unless you tell Hidehiko to beat it. But he, he seems like genuinely kind of hurt if you reject him. Like his feelings, he's like, "Oh, well, that makes me mm-hmm. sad." And then he goes off to the school, and you never see him again. <laughs> nope. Yep. Bye, loser. Um. Yeah. So you decide to go like take it to the bad guys, but you can't actually get in the Sebek way. I don't remember who tips you off that you need to go to the abandoned factory um, where Reiji threatens to kill you earlier. I think it's just that you, like, you hear, like, <laughs> well, maybe if cool kids go to the abandoned uh, this factory. This is also where you can recruit Ellie. Um, if you stop off in the subway, you'll run into her again. She's like, yeah, I don't know. I might as well tag along this time. Uh, I don't know why she's down there. She's just kind of hanging out, fighting guys. Um, but so you go to the abandoned factory, and Ayase is there too. Yeah. Well, she's well, mm-hmm. Ellie. You're talking about Ellie, right? Why well, she's down there? It was because Ellie's like she's into the, the supernatural just, stuff. She's like, yeah, I know. Know. Gotta go kill some zombies. Oh, that's she, a one. She takes very well to this apocalyptic scenario. <laughs> she's just having a good time. Um, so you go to the abandoned factory, and Ayase is there at the beginning of it, and she's like, "Oh, guys, it's terrible." Like. That stuff about the school being safe, like, nah, it's been overrun. And everyone's like, oh no, that's horrible. Like, did anyone else get out? And she's like, dude, I don't know. I'm ISA. I suck. I don't pay attention to other people. I'm the worst. Um, but you should take me with you. But you already have <laughs> someone in your party, or you're holding out for the real cool guy. Uh, so no one in their right mind. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that's what she says. Um,. You know, I'd be I'd be fine if ISA just sort of died throughout the course of this game. I don't care about her at all. It's like you know, I'm just saying if 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 there were casualties, I would not be sad if that character was just unceremoniously killed. Definitely, definitely tell her because you're a sane human being that she can't come, uh, and she gets really mad and leaves, and then hopefully you never see her again either. Um, so you're in this abandoned factory, and you're kind of like. Oh, well, there must be, like, a secret way to get down to the lower levels, so everyone look around for a switch that we can use this key on. And and this is one of those adventure game find-a-thing segments that Paul hates so much. And I get it, Paul, I do. It's just, I don't know, they just, I didn't feel like I ever got too stuck on them. I, I And I get it, it's a weird perspective, and, like, things look weird, and not everything always looks like the, the thing, that- thing it's supposed to be. I mean, honestly, I have this sort of a similar problem with this perspective in Infinity Engine-like games. Mm -hmm. I really want to like them, but it's just so hard to distinguish what I'm actually looking at. Yeah. Yeah, It would be a lot easier if it snapped to movement. But yeah, as it is, like, it's really easy to overshoot targets. And it's I I think you move on sort of a grid base, but it's not super clear. It's it's annoying in the sense where it's like you can be standing next to the item, but if you're not facing it, uh, you have, you know, you have to be facing it to trigger, and so it's just a yeah. lot of and they, like, they, walking around, hitting the examine button over and over, and it's just repeatedly telling you, um, there's no nothing to look at here. There, there is a, you know, kind of a, um, 
them trying to exonerate that a little with the there's an icon above your head. It's a red triangle if you're not looking at anything in particular. And if you're looking at an interactable interactable object, it's like a little speech yeah. bubble with like uh, water droplets. Mm-hmm. So that's that's they tried. It's not So you climb up onto this catwalk and you find like the switch that you need to find. And um there's a really weird moment where you you turn it on and Nanjo is standing on like this platform rises like opens up and rises out of the ground. And he's standing like right on top of where it is when you turn it on. And like Mark like flips the switch and the thing opens up and he's like, Oh Mark, are you trying to kill me? And Mark's like, Oh sorry, dude. And then like he kind of like whispers to himself, like, Oh, it's not gonna be that easy, huh? It's, it's like, oh dude, like it's just a really like I know you guys don't like each other, but damn. <laughs> um so you all climb onto the platform and you go down and you like go down, down, down into this really high-tech facility that's under the building. And this is kind of the first real dungeon. Um, like, this is the point where you're going to get, like, save points and velvet rooms in dungeons, and I think this is... Yeah, this is, the, this is the first velvet room that you find in the dungeon wild, but there was one available to you earlier at the mall. And there's kind of no reason to, because, like, the stores at the mall don't sell weapons yet. Like, it's just items. No, I... I went before I encountered the first velvet room just because I was because I like literally like minutes before because I didn't realize it was going to be there. I was like, I'm too far in this game and I got so many spell cards. I got to unload these. So I was like seeking out if there was an available uh, velvet room. And this is also the first dungeon where like random encounters actually kind of make a difference. Like you actually have to think a little more tactically and like, take care of enemies efficiently and manage your MP for the first time. Yeah. So this is, kind of like, everything before this, which is, like, a good couple of hours, is kind of the preamble, and this is where the real meat of the game starts. And the thing is, you always, in these battles, you always want to be using your personas unless enemies yeah. have a specific immunity to physical weapons or guns. Uh, guns aren't so much in this part of the game. I don't know if they show up later. But every once in a while, an enemy will be almost immune to magic. But what you always want to be doing is casting spells with your persona because that's how you increase their rank, which is not their level. Their rank is their rank is basically their level in the conventional sense, and their level is like what requirement you need to meet to be able to fuse them. Yeah, it's but they confusing. also gain like physical levels too. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah but, like I said, it, lots of meters to pay attention to with personas. Yeah, that that secondary level they have it just gives you kind of a, like a cushion of stats on top of your normal stats. Um, so you kind of go through this like basement area of the dungeon. And this is where you meet, like, the healing fairy for the first time, who, like, definitely overcharges you and isn't really worth using, because you have much more efficient healing spells that don't cost that much MP. Oh, yeah, but, like, it's, it's just, like, 2,000 yen. You're level grinding, that adds 2, up, 000, man. 2,000 yen I only had, like, 70,000 at that point. Well, the other thing is, like, you gain so many levels in this dungeon that you're always yeah, going to have full MP, even if you're casting, like, every single fight I found. Yeah. Uh, especially once you get up into the main Sebic building, because this, like, facility, you kind of go up a couple floors, and then you're, like, up into the main lobby of the Sebic building, which is nice, because then you, like, start finding rooms with NPCs in them again. And one of the nice things about grinding in this game is uh, the it has a really robust uh, auto-battle system, so if you're coming across the same enemies over and over, and you just want to, like, grind up a few levels oh yeah you can just you could actually just keep on auto battling using the last set of uh moves that you used 
<laughs> um, and just keep on spamming that. They're like the auto battle is so great compared to the last one because you can, if you need everyone to use their wep- only physical attacks, there's a weapons auto battle. If you only need everyone to use their guns, there's a guns auto battle. There's even a so- semi-programmable one where it's like you can mix between guns and weapons, but it's like I, there's not one where you can mix between. Well, it's the replay, I guess, where you program everybody and then just hit the replay. But yeah. I like I mostly on my replays they're almost all uh, persona powers because mm-hmm. you gotta level up them personas. Yeah, and they're more robust than the auto battle in the newer SMT and Persona games too. I mean, they don't you know auto battle like it usually is just phys- doing physical attacks. Yeah, I, I, I understand that because that, like, that's how it is in Persona three and four as well, where you just have the rush move and everyone does a physical at once. Yeah, I think that's reflective of how kind of useless the physical attacks are in this game compared to the later ones. Yeah, it definitely doesn't uh, feel that wonderful to use. And it's like, I mean, I'm sure maybe, I don't know, Evan, you're way later in the game. I'm guessing that means that the weapons don't get that much better. It's not that the weapons don't get better. Like, So, so different characters will level up differently into like different kind of specs. Uh, so like Mark, he does really good physical damage. Um uh, Nanjo does pretty good physical damage uh, with his uh, gun, but like most of the characters, like if I do a physical attack, right. it's going to do maybe an eighth the damage of a spell. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, you said that you meet the secretary. So the, the way you, you like go in to the secretaries, you can't use the en- elevators. So you have to like go down again well, and then first, around. You can and- use the elevators because um, they tell you that what's his name? Kendori is like the CEO, I guess. He, he's in charge. Um, he's at the top, his office is at the top, and you can go into the elevator and just go straight to the top if you want to. Um, but there's a lot of, like... Oh, I didn't, I didn't, I thought, yeah. I tried. It didn't let me. So, so there are two elevators. Uh, there's one elevator that's in one of the dialogue rooms that you can't use. It's the one that looks like a reception That's area. what I'm okay, talking yeah, about. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's an elevator in those dungeon. elevators. And there yeah, are five floors, and you can just, like, elevators. go right up to the top if you want, but there are good demons and a lot of treasure rooms in the like intermeaning three floors yeah this is the first dungeon that actually has like legitimate stashes of treasure rooms like you want to f- seek out the basically they look like they are they are dialogue rooms but like there's nothing there but incidental dialogue and also some treasure boxes so you should open all of those because yeah this is the first time that you get like new weapons and new guns and new like equipment that's not just like mob trash guys oh it's so the good. equipment there's an optimize button. Oh my god! It's so wonderful. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, there's. Yeah, Concerned, the last game we played had equipment where, in order to find out the stats for an item you were about to buy, you had to look it up in the fac or a manual. This optimize <laughs> is just like so happy. Oh for my you guys. god! I, I, for, I forgive all of your sins, Persona One. It, it's definitely like yeah, the ease of use features are giving this game a lot of goodwill. I haven't gotten like I want to pull my hair out frustrated with this game yet. It has been it gets a, little, a little tedious. It's a little it's wonky. just a lot of it's a like wonky, dungeon crawling but... with kind of generic encounters. The encounter rate's pretty high in this game. Yeah. Yes, and that is toned down from Persona One on the PS One, which God. Uh, which apparently had <laughs> featured many like take cool. one step and get another um, uh, battle. So you get to the top. And you kind of, like, bust into the CEO's office, and uh, his name's Kandori, and this I think this could be the first time you see him in the game, right? As far as I know. I think it's most, I think you maybe see yeah. him, like, mm-hmm. if you go to CBAC first, right? But, no, just, but for most people, this is where you're going to see him for the Okay, so yeah, he's um, kind of chatting with his lieutenant, Takeda, about how they 
weren't successful in their assassination attempt on Mackie's mom. I'm assuming that's who they're talking about. Um, because she's a... Yeah, she, I think she knows about the Deva system because she was working okay. on it. Oh, oh, yes, yes, oh. that makes perfect sense. Yeah, And she's the it. one that tells you about the tunnel between the abandoned warehouse and the building. <laughs> so we solved the mystery. <laughs> Maki's mother is Izanami. That's I mean, she, she could be. I haven't finished it. I don't know. <laughs> I, it's, I just, it's funny how they work her in the later they go in the series because she was so prominent. It's it's the, it's like that's the last holdover from the real <laughs> um, shit early games. So, you know, you guys are like threatening them, like ah, you better put things right, Kandori. Uh, we're gonna fight you with our personas, and Kandori's like, oh, your persona users too, and you're all like, whoa. Um, so you start a fight with them, <laughs> and uh, four other bad guys just materialize for this battle, and this is kind of the first boss fight in the game, and it sucks. Because when Kandori reveals that he also has a persona, he uses, uh, like, a group fire spell. He uses Miragi, and it hits everybody in your party before the fight even starts. And then he leaves like an asshole, and you just have to fight yeah. Takeda and these four other goons. And it's actually, it's not bad. Um, like, it's the first boss fight, and it's not a lot to manage, because it's just kind of four generic guys. And then this other guy who is also a generic guy who's just a little bit stronger. Yeah, and if you have a spell, I mean, by this point, you probably have some spells that hit multiple people, and uh, at least the goons will go by, down really fast with those. Just having even one extra person not hitting you just makes a difference, and it just it goes real fast. Um, yeah, these fights aren't as absolutely mindless as some of the SMT1 fights were, where they will never get a chance to attack you once, but like they're still pretty easy, at least through the first half of Persona 1. Once you wrap up that fight, everyone's like, oh no, during the fight, Kandori slipped away somehow. There's no evidence that he used the door, so here's another pixel hunt for a secret switch to uh, open the giant logo on the wall, and uh, there's another elevator behind it. And by the way, can we talk about how shitty looking the Sebek logo is? Like, it looks like a, like a shitty new metal band's yes. logo from like 1996. <laughs> It looks like a bad knockoff of uh, the Slayer logo, you know, um, in a way, like like a five year old version of the Slayer logo. You know what I'd really appreciate if just once the, the evil organization <laughs> would pay money for a graphic designer <laughs> to design them a sleek new logo in the in the modern context. See, that's that's your mistake. If it was an evil, evil organization, they would get on Twitter and have somebody do it for exposure, which is why it looks so shitty. <laughs> this is when you have to take the elevator back down to the basement and then, like, go all the way up a different way back up through the building. Um, and this is, like, kind of back in the facility area. But there are a lot of, like, rooms where there are scientists who work for Sebek, and they're, like, none of them know what's going on. And they're all, like oh, is he just going to, like, hole up in his bunker and leave us to be killed by demons? And this isn't what the Deva system was supposed to be used for. And one of them kind of, like, talks to you about Keiji, I guess, because um, you'll meet him again, perhaps permanently, uh, pretty soon here. But uh, you kind of make your way through this facility, and when you get to the end of it, um, you've, like, come into the room where the Deva system, like, actually is, and you've been hearing about this guy named Dr. Nikolai, who kind of, like, is the, the lead developer of it, I guess we'll call him. Um, like, he created the system, and he's trying to talk Kandori down from his 
uh, soon to be revealed to be cartoonishly evil plan where he's like, oh, well, humanity's going to be judged for its sins. And like, it, like weird rhetoric that like, hasn't really come up so far in the game, like to this point, like what his ambition actually is. And it's like pretty generic JRPG villain stuff. And uh, somehow he's going to use the Davis system to meet that end. And you kind of like storm in. You're like, hey, stop right there, Kendori. And he's like, yeah, fucking whatever. Bunch of dumb baby kids. Like, I don't have time for you. And he enters the machine. And Dr. Nikolai enters the machine. And while they're in there, Nikolai like turns it on. And like weird stuff starts happening. And like Dr. Nikolai is clearly like trying to kill. But like he's like, I'm going to take you down with me, Kendori. I'm going to stop you. Um, and Kendori's like, oh, what's happening? Like, I'm fading out of existence. It's real weird. Um, and Maki who, like, this whole time has kind of been, like, whenever Kendori's around, she, like, gets shifty and weird. Um, and she recognizes the machine. She's like, oh, I don't know how I know, but I, I know what's going on here. And if you press this red button, then the machine will turn off and we can save Dr. Nikolai. And if you press this blue button, then it'll overload the machine and it'll kill them both. And uh, Nanjo's like, oh, yeah, well, Dr. Nikolai invented this machine and, like, he's trying to atone for his sins by you know, redeeming himself in this act of self-sacrifice, so we should, we should let him kill himself. And Mark's like, no, fuck that. Like, he's, we, he's a person. We have a responsibility to help him. We should save him. And I think no matter what you do, like, the same thing happens, but, like, the game probably, like, marks that down as a little tally in, like, whether you were compassionate or not. It does. It does. I mean, at least according to the fact. I think this is the first time kind of that you have an impact on your end. Yeah. Um... I'm still not even sure what that means to be passionate. I suppose you're supposed to I guess be. We'll find out. Best ending. Is this when the the girl in black shows up? Yes. So we've been chasing this thread. We've kind of forgot to mention it, but it just sort of gets sprinkled. It's Is never this... been a super solid thread until just about now. Like you, you're kind of chasing this ethereal thing that you saw at some point, and this little girl in black, a black dress, and. Oh my, is that the same red hair bow that is on Maki's head? Um, I think this is the first time she shows up since she zaps you at the beginning of the game, I think. This yeah, is the I first time she shows up again, yes. Rants a little bit about, like, you assaulting her daddy, which is weird, because it seems like she's talking about Kandori. Probably isn't anybody's daddy. Um, and then she kind of, like, zaps you, and the screen, like, flashes kind of like it did at the beginning of the game. And when you all wake up, you're back in... The school gym, but like the old gym from like six months ago, and everyone's like, "What's going on?" <laughs> the gym's changed so much in six months. The balls that were over in that corner are now in the other corner. Like what? <laughs> fuck, what? Big, what tells you a gym is six months like old? Six months like ago. they know it, but the, um, yes. there's a little small scene where if you go up to the because there's a stage in the gym, if you go backstage. There are these ballerinas there, and they're just like, "Are you trying? Are you trying to look at us while we change?" And it's like, "Yeah, I didn't see that one." That's and then they're like, weird. "Get out!" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't really think it's saying anything. It's just like this weird, awkward situation that you walked in on because you were exploring. It's kind of funny. <laughs> it's like going to the women's bathroom in Deus Ex. Oh, that's great! <laughs> and then they call you out on it. It's so wonderful. Uh, but yeah, you are back in the school, and it seems to have been six months ago. Uh, somebody runs up to Maki and tells her that her friend Yosuke is seriously hurt. Uh, if you explored the school at the beginning of the game, you would have heard that Yosuke is one of two people that went missing uh, six months ago. Uh, 
uh, Yosuke and Chaozo are the two that were missing. Uh, so Nanjo asks some questions around of kids nearby and finds out that even though it seems to be six months ago, it's still the correct date and time. So the school seems like it's in the past, but everybody tells you, oh, no, no, it's the present. It's still the correct date. Uh, so you go exploring for a little bit. Uh, you'll eventually find uh, Yosuke. He is real beaten up. Uh, his arms in a sling. He's got bandages around, around his head. And he tells you that he and Chaozo, uh, the student that everybody thought the two of them like ran off together to elope, uh, he says they actually got transported into another world. And that uh, that's when Mackie, who's found Yosuke, uh, confides in you that she is actually from this other world. Bob and there are more like <laughs> details that are off. Like it's not just that the time is wrong, but like your teacher has a completely different personality. And there's this uh, other student from the beginning of the game. I think her name is like Yuko or something, who's like really sweet and cool when you meet her at the beginning. But like in this world, she's like super rich and stuck up. And she's like, Nanjo, why are you, why are you hanging out with these poor people? And he's like, well, it's not like I enjoy it or anything. And <laughs> yeah, and there's a couple other things too. Like you find out the reason that uh, Mackie didn't understand what a police station was is because in this world, the police station is a forest, which is like, it's a weird thing. It's like, oh yeah, this is just like the other, this is just like the other world. Only there's forests instead of police here. So. Yeah, it, it's a strange, strange uh, evolution in timeline where there's a world where there's uh, high schools, but no police stations. Now, Paul, I believe you had some complaints about finding uh, Yusuke in the school. Oh, no, no. Uh, that that issue was earlier on. Oh, was wow. it? I assumed this yeah. is what you were talking about. Because no. it can be pretty easy to miss where Yusuke actually is. But you just got to find him in, re in classroom 2-5. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I didn't have a problem with this. It was the uh, first time around when we went back to school the first time. And unlike an older game, the signs on Japanese schools, you know how they actually say like 3-1-3-2-3-3? That's totally accurate in this game, and it's I not know. just the same sign with a random Japanese kanji on it. I'm sure it's not random, but I'm sure it just says classroom or something. Yeah, it's pretty useful. And like most of the rooms, if there's nothing interesting to do in there, it'll just tell you, oh yeah, this room's empty. Don't don't bother going in there. Yeah. Nothing to do. There's either a uh, person or maybe an item. I don't think you can find any items in the school before it, it does the transition in a second. Yeah, so um, once once Mackie's finished uh, confiding in you that she's actually from this world, uh, once you find out about the people that were transported over, uh, she says that she is trying to find the uh, girl in black because uh, that girl kidnapped uh, their friend Ch uh, Chitsao. Chiaotsu? Chisato, that sounds way more like a name. <laughs> <laughs> so, Evan, we need to, do we need to do like a basic breakdown of Japanese phonemes? It'll help you. It's really easy. They've got only like 26 of them. Oh, no, I actually, I actually like, I speak rudimentary Japanese. Like, I know the phonemes. <laughs> it's just, it is 11 o'clock. I am sleep deprived and I'm having a hard time reading the names on this. It's okay. File. Yeah, we're almost done. Let's, let's, maybe let's uh, okay. speed this up a little. Yeah, so you're chasing after the girl in black who kidnapped Chisato and, uh, as soon as you make that decision, a massive earthquake strikes again, just like in the hospital. Uh, the girl in black comes back and announces that, yes, she took away the exits one more time and that she is going to destroy the school for good. Uh, kind of foreshadowing. Yeah, the, the reason you're going after her is because, like, Yosuke is telling you, oh, no, no, she's been terrorizing us. She's trying to kill all of us. Uh, so just like with the hospital, the school becomes another dungeon. Instead of the nice, clean, logical layout, it is now twisting paths uh, with fairy rooms and. Uh, Fairy rooms, stores, and fusion mansions. Oh, no. Velvet rooms. Gotta stop calling them fusion mansions. 
Uh, but yeah, again, it's a pretty straightforward dungeon. There aren't any real tricks. Um, there's one pitfall a little bit later in the dungeon, but other than that, it's it's dead simple. Um, if you're going down my path on the second floor, you'll meet up with uh, Raiji, and I, I think everybody gets this cutscene, but it's, if you haven't picked, picking up any of the optional party members and you talk to him, uh, you'll see him trying to fight a demon by himself, and like everybody else, he says, don't don't worry, I got this, and he fights a demon even though everybody else tries to stop him. Yeah, he, he, yeah, I think he'd get a level regardless, because uh, it, it wasn't a boss fight for me either. Uh, but he kills the demon, he talks to you guys, you're like, oh no, we have, we have personas too. And he's like, oh, well, there, there's, there's, there's some messed up stuff going on, so uh, let's, let's take care of this together. Uh, so th- at this point, if you don't have another party member, he's going to join you regardless, uh, as long as you did the earlier stuff with his mom and getting threatened by him at the abandoned warehouse. Uh, I think it pretty much you know, goes exactly the same, except uh, at the end of that scene, if you're not going after him, uh, except for at the end of that scene, he just kind of says, all right, I'm beat it. I'm taking Mark, out. like, makes fun of his mom or something, like in, like, an offhanded comment, and he gets really mad and leaves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess the difference here is that you've met his mom, and Mark's like, oh, his, his mom's nice. <laughs> but um, he, he's a pretty good party member. His persona is a pain in the ass to use initially. Uh, because kind of like we talked about earlier, personas use SP kind of as a flat amount per spell rather than, uh, so in the normal games, like you get a low level spell, it'll be four MP, the higher level spell will be 10. Uh, with these, it's every persona has one cost for their entire, every spell they'll ever know. Uh, His are pretty high, so you will run out of mana with him a lot until you fuse something else for him or level him up a bunch. Uh, but with him in tow, uh, you explore the rest of the dungeon. Uh, at the end of it is a courtyard where you will meet the girl in black again. In a really <laughs> in a really weird moment that makes me wonder how this was translated in the original English PlayStation version, uh, she calls Mark a monkey, he gets really upset, and then uh, Nenjo calls <laughs> him really a monkey weird. man, and kind of the whole party joins in in calling him a monkey, which... Yeah. Like, yeah, and I, uh, depending on... I, Depending on how it was translated, that could have been extremely, extremely racist in the original. Yeah. So, uh, so she summons a, um, again, whenever she summons something, she has these great, like, nonsense, uh, magic words that she says, and she summons Tesso to kill you all, once and for all. Tesso is my favorite boss fight in this game, because it was so unexpected. Tesso is a tank that is also a rat. Oh, he's a mouse, though, because your female party members talk about how cute he is. Uh, but yeah, the, te- the Tesso fight's straightforward. It's kind of a pain in the ass, but not difficult. Um, he has an immense amount of HP. Uh, if you've managed to fuse a demon that's weak to uh, nuclear damage or uh, gravity damage, you're kind of boned here because he will cast that on everybody every few turns. Uh, but other than that, like he doesn't have any particular weaknesses. Uh, like we talked about earlier, the bosses in this game very, very rarely are susceptible to any sort of status ailments. Uh, most of them, like some of them don't even seem to have any sort of elemental weaknesses, so... It's just a straight-up slugfest. Uh, there's a couple There's a couple items you can have to restore your SP. Uh, they're really cheap in this game, especially compared to, like, if you're used to SMT1, where you'll maybe get, like, six MP-restoring items in the entire game, uh, they give them out like candy here. This was, uh, I had a Terracaja spell on Kai at this point, so that was very useful. Um, but yeah, even then, still a slugfest. It just casts attack down on the enemy, so... They didn't hit too hard. It's just such and... a weird encounter, like, all the way around. Because, mm. like, <laughs> you don't have to yep. try very hard. You just have to last a while. And then it's such a weird 
design yeah. and like there's like circus there's music only- playing during the fight and this is the first time it's just so inconsistent with like everything that's come before and probably <laughs> after absolutely it is definitely there's a tv tropes term for that and it's something like uh mutant space flea where <laughs> it's just sometimes there's a boss and it's like this this there's no context they could give that makes this forgivable really like it just it's it's too out there for what this game is normal. All right. Well, once you finally take down Tesso, uh, she gets really mad. Uh, you destroyed her toy, and she's going to go and tell her daddy what you did. And then once again, like you try to rush toward her, but she teleports away. And that's going to be the end of this episode. Uh, you are done with the school. An exit is in front of you, and you can now leave to the world map. Well, Yosuke tells you to go meet someone in the library, and he won't tell you who it is. And that's like. A cliffhanger for this week. Well, Ian, I want to thank you so much for joining us on this oh, the hey, longest episode of Mega Ten Marathon so Ooh, far. Yeah, that was which we thought would be the shortest. Really, really long <laughs> hour. Shortest notes, longest recording. Aren't you guys glad that we front loaded on mechanics because there was a ton there? Yeah, I am sure. I am absolutely positive that even though we have more plot to cover in the next episode, it won't take us nearly as. Well, uh, you can uh, rate and review us on iTunes. That would be much appreciated. You can drop us a line at megatenmarathon at gmail.com. Let us know what you think about Persona or our uh, next game, which will be uh, Shin Megami Tensei Strange Journey. And um, I think that's about it for all of our wrap-up. Just spread the word, rate and review us, let us know what you think. And um, we'll see you back in a couple weeks with the second part of uh, Persona 1. You know, every day uh, before I left for school when I was a young child, (laughs) my mother would always tell me this piece of advice. Life he, life ho, he ho, is not fair.